Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face episode 159 on Sifted Games at sifted.net. It is Friday night. Hope you guys are primed for a great weekend. Hope you're kicking your feet up, ready to get past the work week, and ready to play some great video games this weekend. We're going to send you off into that weekend, I believe, with a really good show. Uh, we have a ton of topics in this week's episode. It's going to be a little bit like the ADD episode of Game Face. Mm. We're not going to spend a ton of time on any topic because we got a lot to get to. Uh, we are going to talk about Devil May Cry 5, which just came out today. Uh, Matt and I have both been playing it, uh, so we're going to get well. to that. Well, Matt hasn't played much of it. I've played a lot of it. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some Nintendo news. I think we got every platform in the show, uh, so there's something for everybody in this week's episode. A <coughs> uh, couple housekeeping things before we get going. Um, the new Patreon has launched. It is out there. Uh, you're seeing right now the list of people below who uh, pledged $30 or more. I have to say, it's the smallest list we've ever had. So a lot of people, when we launched our new Patreon, actually bailed, <laughs> which is not encouraging for the new Patreon. In fact, some people who had been on the list that you're seeing right now since we launched our Patreon left. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if people hate our new Patreon or what. Uh, also, a note to some of you guys, there was a lot of you this month for whatever where your payment was declined. You guys pledged. Uh, but then for whatever reason, your credit card or your PayPal account just didn't take the charge. So uh, if you're missing your name along the bottom and you're like, wait, I, I'm still pledging at that level, it's probably because your payment was declined. So go have a look at Patreon if that's the case. Uh, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, thanks for checking us out. Um, if you aren't going to be able to help us at our Patreon, which I hope you would, patreon.com slash sifted, even a dollar a month makes a big difference. If you can't do that, though, uh, we have Twitch Prime. You can give us a free $2.50 every month if you're an Amazon Prime member. Directions are down below. Uh, we really appreciate it. And one thing we are doing on YouTube is at the top of every description now, we have a link where you literally just have to click that link and it takes you to the page where you have to click one more time to give us 250. We're trying to make it so easy for you guys. So if you've already linked your Twitch Prime or your Twitch and Amazon Prime accounts, there's a link there right now. It's one click to give us $2.50. Please do it. We'd really appreciate it. So anyway, got a big show. I know you guys have a weekend you're trying to get to. We don't want to take up a ton of your time. So let's just get straight to it. Matt, is there going to be an E3 in five years? Um, I, it might just be like two guys in a sport coat having like <laughs> two a, guys sharing one sport coat, <laughs> yeah, having a, having a power lunch at, at the Marriott. I think that might be E3, it's starting, E3 2025. It's starting to look that way. So this week EA announced that it is not doing an E3 press conference. It's still going to be there and do its EA play thing, but there's no press conference. Mm -hmm. Now I think there's, there are probably a couple reasons this could be. I think the first they one got is nothing. they got nothing. That's yeah. that's game one. I think that's probably why. Which explains why Last uh, Jedi Fallen Order is being shown off at Star Wars Celebration. April 13th, yeah. I believe. Yeah, so we're going to get to see Respawn's Star Wars game in just like a month, mm -hmm. which is exciting. Uh, but and Considering no E3 press conference, it means we're probably going to see a, a pretty, pretty good chunk yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, so I agree. I think that the bulk of it is that EA just looked at its lineup and was like, well, we can show all our sports games again. Yeah. Or show nothing. Yeah. Because what you got Jedi and you got your sports games and you could probably push some new mobile thing like that Command and Conquer thing last year. But that's but been hated. a nightmare. 
And I don't know. What else are you going to talk about? Like Apex Legends? I think the other part of it, too, is that EA's press conferences have been a disaster for the last two years in a row. There has been at least one part of its press conference at E3 that people have ultimately railed on for weeks and weeks after it was over. Yeah. And so, like, it's also just sort of one of the things where it's like it, 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 the last few years has really sort of highlighted um, how thin EA's catalog is. And it's like it's the one time a year I hear about Plants vs. Zombies again. Yeah. You know, it's just sort of like... Or and the you, Sims. Yeah, because you know you're, they're not holding anything back because they're just throwing everything they got out there, and most of what they got is kind of yeah. Yeah. You know? um, it's not, they're not a robust, they don't have a robust variety of things they put out regularly anymore. Like they used to have, you know, like the old EA lineup, you got the sports, but you also got the need for speed, you got a racer, you got a, you got a, a shooter here, you got maybe another online game, you got a smaller fun thing, you got a Sims game, you got a... You know, you got whatever whatever uh, respawns working on. You know, I got robots with Titanfall. He's like, it, it was a it was a mix of things, and now it's just sort of like the same things over and over again as they slowly put more and more bullets into the heads of uh, developers they bought and then had one failure, and then instead of cultivating the talent they had and the experience in these developers that they paid huge amounts of money for because of their pedigree that's existed as an independent entity in the industry for years and years, <laughs> they just sort you of shut like them the down. You sound like the micro-machines guy. They sort of, sort of shut them down and let them die, and uh, that then you do that often enough and you don't have any fucking games left. Yeah, one thing I've noticed with EA is, we've seen with Activision, is starting to shift its strategy a little bit. Where, I mean, it's publishing Sekiro and a couple other games that aren't part of its typical yeah. yearly or biannual yeah. release schedule. Anything that's not COD is right. sort of shocking from Activision. But we're not point. seeing EA do that. No. EA had an era where it was like that. When you got games like Dante's Inferno, and some people may argue, hey, maybe that was a bad EA that shouldn't come back. Yeah. But when you can't have... But at least they let that industries... happen sometimes. Right. You got a Dante's you Inferno try. or a Dead Space or like a, like a Mirror's Edge. Or like a, like they, they were experimenting here and there. When you're one of the biggest publishers in the industry and you don't have enough material and content to have an E3 press conference, something's flying off the rails. And yeah. I think we already know Star Wars is flying off the rails because we haven't got a, a new game for that for what, now 15 months? Yeah. Around there? It'll be two years by the time we get to... Fallen, fallen Jedi. Yeah, it'll be two years out of Star Wars game, so that's hurt EA big time. It was two years before Battlefront Two as well. Right. Just it was the last. It was the same game. Yeah, know? and it was the same. Um, Basically, just DLC. Like, yeah, and they're still. I mean, they're still updating Battlefront Two. I had to do that, but it's like there's that thing. You know, and honestly, it's like you're hitting a thing, and I know it's an anthem problem too. But it's like where I was like, oh, I wonder what the update, update was. Probably like Count Dooku or whatever the hell. And I'm like, oh, I could look, I could look at it, but it means sitting through load screens for like ten minutes to load up Battlefront Two and probably play one round. I'm just like, eh, nah. Yeah, I got it for nine bucks. Who cares? <laughs> you know, like, it's uh, it's a weird situation you're in where I'm like, uh, where I am like, I don't think I'm gonna bother starting up the Star Wars thing to look at the new content. It's That's... like that doesn't happen no. often, you know? <laughs> ever, ever. So what do you think this means for E3 on a bigger scale, on a grand scale? Well, I mean, E3... Because EA, EA did this first. <laughs> EA was already out of it. Right, um, well, we, but look, EA did this first, and we talked about it way back when, and we said we wouldn't be surprised if we see other publishers following suit. And we were right. Mm. We've seen at least three or four big publishers leave the yeah. show floor, not do a press... Co There's no press conference from Sony this year. Mm, no press conference from EA this year. Microsoft's had its off-site presence for at least... What was it, last year or two years? Two years. Nintendo doesn't really do a press conference. It does a pre-produced video mm -hmm. every year. 
Nintendo's uh, going to be the whole floor in a couple of years. It might be, unless it bails too. Which it probably would. And is that what's going to happen? Is that where we are at this point? Is this what's going to happen to E3? Is it going to become irrelevant? I mean, already I think now we have to say Gamescom is the most important conference of if, the year. If you're a if you're a fan of video games, yeah. I don't know if it's still that's true if you're a business person. Right. Um, I think E3 will always be the heart of the business year for the industry. Which most people um, don't even realize. All which all happens that, upstairs. Right. You know, people like, don't even, like those stairs you're seeing right there, you go up those stairs and there's meeting rooms. And yeah. that's where a bunch of stuff happens at E3 that most people don't even know about. Publishing deals, mm -hmm. but signing it, developers. But it's why E3 exists. It is. That's the, the original reason why it was it, it, it was exi yeah. existed in the first place. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, the, the time may come when, you know, Nintendo's not on the floor I mean, you know, or Sony's not. But I, yeah, here, I'll tell you this much. Sony's business people are still up those stairs. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, Sony's not going in the sense that they're not going to have anything to show us as sort of civilians on the floor. But Sony's still there in the business sense. And so, uh, you know, there could come a time when, you know, the reason it's called E3 is the, the last word is Expo, begins with E, right. you know. Um, and, um, you know, Expo, usually in a, in a business sense, in an industry Expo, it, you know, you're, you're doing this sort of floor booth thing where you're showing off your, it's usually not this fancy. Even, if, even you know, 20 years ago, E3's, you know, show floor was, you know, a different beast from your average industry expo. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's more exciting than a dental tech <laughs> expo. Because yeah. that's usually, I believe that is usually the expo that happens the week before is a yearly dental technology expo. Right, right. Where you just have all the, all the water picks yeah. you could ever <laughs> want to demo all on the floor there. Um, yeah, but this thing, you know, that's ballooned into what it is to us because, like, you, you know, we, a bunch of us used to either cover it or sneak into it, um, <laughs> and like it became sort of the, the the touchstone sort of big event. You know, Christmas in June for, uh, as Tim Rogers would put it, game likers. <laughs> and um, I love I love that. I love that. <laughs> I'm a I'm a game liker. Game liker, because <laughs> it 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 a almost sounds like game liquor. <laughs> And on the other end of the spectrum, like, it clearly just says, all it means is you like games. And it keeps me from having to say gamer, which I hate. So I don't prefer that either. <laughs> I mean, so here's the big question, though. He also says game touchers, which is, <laughs> I also like that. I, 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 I have to say, I have gotten very into Tim Rogers and his, and his videos. <laughs> After years and years of I, not caring. I could not, no, I couldn't stand him when I was, he was writing in text in the early 2000s. It was all weird and long and all about him. And like, it sounded so pretentious. But when he like reads it out loud with this weird sort of self-effacing sarcastic tone, it just works. It works. Uh... And it is, like, I he does like 40 minutes on like Dragon Quest 11 and 11 and I watched the whole damn thing. <laughs> like it was so, it's, he's very entertaining. Yeah, we'll have to start checking that and uh, start curating it to. For to sure, for sure. But I, he, so here's the thing. Though. My, e my surprise of the year. Is E3 more about press conferences? And, I, and look, I realize these two things kind of go hand in hand. Is it more about the press conferences or is it more about the announcements? Because that to me is the thing that I think E3 will keep. Mm -hmm. even after it starts to become irrelevant. Yeah, even if you don't even have a show floor anymore, people are still going to announce their new business directions and their new products that they need to show to these people. And because that's, that's where Gamescom is behind. Gamescom yeah. is bigger, badder, better for consumers, more games, yeah. but it's also... But it's not at the right time of the year. It's an 
A has-been. Yeah. It's a lot of the stuff that we saw at E3. They're not announcing much stuff at Gamescom, but they're giving the consumer access yeah. to it. Yeah, if E3 really sort of dwindles back down to more of a business conference, uh, in the way, like, say, GDC is, in a sense, you know, or GDC is sort of like... GDC is a big deal if you're a game developer. Yeah. But you know, we don't really pay a lot of attention to it because there's not a lot of announcements and there's not a lot of new reveals on the floor or anything like that. Yeah. It is a very interesting conference to go to if you're interested in that aspect of things. Uh, and it's astoundingly good for networking. But um, I could see like it be like, be, I could see it be, I don't know where, <laughs> where that conjugation came from. I could see it become uh, a thing where like E3 is more of like the business side of things and you get a lot of announcements and then Gamescom is the first time we really see these things in depth and get like non, non-suit people uh, to get their hands on things. You know, it'd be more of a, that would be more, almost more where the, where the press gets to really play with stuff and E3 would be more of a reporting on the announcements situation. Now, another thing about E3 that people who don't work in the industry or haven't worked in journalism may not realize is that E3 is also a big event for outlets. So every year you're trying to get sponsorships for all your content all year. And most deals that you lock down are like for 50 grand to do a couple videos for a game the week before it comes out. E3 is where you get the big deals. It's where you talk to potential sponsors and you say, hey, we'll put your logo in our graphics package. Um, it will be, if we have a stage live on the show floor, we'll have signage that has Mountain Dew on it or what. Those deals you make a million, 500,000. So it's kind of this little cottage industry part mm -hmm. of E3 that a lot of people don't understand. That to me would be in jeopardy. Yeah, Because sure. if you don't have the bombastic event for people to go to, mm -hmm. Outlets are going to be in trouble because yeah, like literally you're, not, you're probably not going to see like, like GameSpot having their own their big giant like booth on the floor. Where right. you, you, I remember for for a few of the years it was like almost like a big fishbowl and you could see everybody working in there all yeah. like all three days. It was I, just a constant hive of activity. We would make a quarter of our revenue at E3 every year at Game Trailers. So whatever we made for the year, divide it by a quarter, twenty five percent, and that is what we would make just at yeah. E3. If it was you a lose. Big chunk of G4s like yearly too. Yeah, if you lose a quarter of your revenue as a publication in 2019, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. You're gone. You're done. That by That's the way, your whole profit margin times like yeah. five. Although at the same time, it's like, imagine if like, I don't know. Imagine if like CNN made a quarter of their revenue off like the Republican primary convention. Right. I mean, it's how, kind of how much thing. would you how much would you trust coverage of that? Right, right. You know, it's, it's like, true. Yeah. It, it, it is a nice illustration of how, like, you know, the media that cover games is basically just a part of the PR wing. Well, one thing I would say though is so, if, like that's the, the E3 sponsors. The, the model doesn't the, the money model is is broken. Basically. Yeah, but the E3 for us at least the E3 sponsors weren't the video game industry. That was the right. one time in the year where we got other industries to come in. So we would get like a Mountain Dew, or we would get a Gillette, or we would is get that, like an Axe that, body spray or, or whatever. The, I do associate those with the game industry, though, yeah, like, because, because of that. I've dealt with them for years yeah. because those are, when you work at an outlet, those are the companies that you target because they're trying to hit the 13 to 35-year-old male so that they can get that guy to start using Gillette razors at 13, and then he uses them for the rest of his life or choose their deodorant, and that's the mm -hmm. deodorant that they use for the rest of it. So, and this is the one event where you could get those people. So I would go into meetings because I also work for Spike and a big problem for us always was I go to these meetings with sponsors and 
we'd have Spike and we'd have GT. And of course, you know, even though I worked for both, my heart was in game trailers. So I always tried to push the marketing deals over to game trailers. And it was a very hard sell. You could get them to buy anything on Spike, anything. The dumbest idea I could come up with, they'd sell it for 200 grand. I would come up and my team would come up with genius ideas for E3, like 10 of them, and we'd sell like two or three. Still, that was enough to generate a quarter of our revenue for the year. So if E3 goes down, it's not just, oh, boo-hoo, I miss E3 and I miss taking off work for a couple days to watch all the... There, there are serious consequences across the board, across the entire industry for E3 going down. Now, could something spring up that could take its place? Are there other more smaller events that can fill the void? It's hard to get a sponsor to sponsor your coverage of PSX. Mm -hmm. Like, it just is. They're like, so what's the deal? It's only Sony? Why would we want to get it on that? We want to hit everybody. So mm -hmm. these smaller events, you can it say- It was easier to sell packs oh, than yeah. it was for PSX. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or, or even uh, when they did the, the Xbox thing for those few years. Yeah. That was a tough sell, unless you got Microsoft to basically help you. Right, yeah. Which is a conflict of so, interest. Right, so the XO events, all that stuff. Yeah, it's hard to get sponsorships for that kind of stuff. So as someone who's been in this industry for a long time, dealt with those high-level conversations, dealt with the advertising and marketing teams, the agencies for years and years, I could see like a press apocalypse coming for if E3 goes away or loses relevance to the point where sponsors don't want to deal with the outlets anymore or don't want to sponsor the outlets anymore. And I realize this is kind of inside baseball stuff. I'm sorry if I'm boring you guys with kind of the insider stuff of what it's like to run a website. I think some of you guys do want to hear that stuff. But uh, I think in this particular case, in this particular story, it's extremely, re extremely relevant. And uh, mm -hmm. we actually took questions from uh, people on the website this week. So there's a thread in Sifton's forum. So I realize a lot of you guys who watch the show, in fact, the vast majority of people who watch the show watch the archive and they've been kind of wondering how they can get in and ask questions at the end of the show. So there's a thread in the general gaming forum on Sifted right now. So if you ever want to ask questions uh, for the show that we'll answer at the end of the show and you can't make the live stream, uh, you can hit that thread up and we're actually going to answer some uh, from that later on in the show. And one of the questions is kind of related to this, at least a little bit tangentially. So. Um, it's not good. This is like the third year in a row that we've seen, at least in my opinion, the relevance of E3 dwindling. Um, I mean, I don't think this changes much, really. Um, it's just, you know, e EA not doing something is just like EA's already not doing things. So, like, uh, if it would be more, if like Microsoft pulled out of a press conference, that would be a bigger deal to me. Um, EA not doing something is more of an indication of e the state of EA than the state of E3. But, um, the fact that EA is not sort of, you know, prioritizing it and finding a way to do it is is a comment, I think, on how they know that while it's not ideal, it's also not going to torpedo them. You know, it's, it's not it's not the end of the world. Point. Because in in the past, they've had weak lineups, and they still done it anyway. They did yeah. it anyway. Now I think they're the they're to the point where they they look at the value of E three and they're like, you know what, it's not worth doing it anyway. Yeah, let's anymore. not kill ourselves over this. Yeah. Let's just just. Let's just ride it out. It's interesting. And I mean, a big part of it too, I think, is influencers and how, you know, they, they launched Apex Legends basically with influencers mm -hmm. and they're probably like, well, crap. That like, worked. That worked. Like, we got to <laughs> stop bringing them on to do the press conference and just let them make money for us. That's the... Exactly. And I think part of that is kind of shifting the sands a little bit yeah. as well. So uh, we're in a new frontier. Uh, E3 isn't yeah, back to the Santa Monica version of 2006 yet, thank God. No, hopefully never. But like, 
I mean, I would rather see it like fade away before it became that again. Yeah. That was just sort of but like, I think that's what we're seeing right now, though, is E3 bit. fading away. But that E3, like, like, you know, like I said, the core of what it is is always going to be there. Like that, you know, everything else is just sort of like has sprung up around it, you know? Like um, if, you know, E3 is not dead if you know, the, the spectacle goes away because that's not what E3 is at its core. It just becomes something that we wouldn't want to be at because we don't have anything to do there. I wonder, too, if E3 gets to a certain point, if this shoulder programming that these publishers are doing around it also goes away. So what happens when... Because, we've look, we've talked about how we think it's shady that EA is basically using E3 mm-hmm. to get all the journalists in town and get them to come over to right. their little shindig or whatever. What happens when, because these people have left E3, there's no E3 anymore? Well, I think... Do I they think, still do the thing? Like I think it depends how <laughs> profitable it is just with the general public coming. Because, yeah. like, you know, and, and I, I don't know what the numbers are for the ESA either in terms of tickets sold to E3. Uh, itself um i mean that could just keep some but you know they tried to do that with with e for all back in right. you know back 10 years ago and that didn't it was a disaster didn't yeah. hold out because no one wanted to put the effort into bringing anything to it. it became it became something much more akin to the dental technology show it did yeah frankly <laughs> like it was it, embarrassing yeah we i, I went, went to it once and i was like oh I my went, gosh i went to the second one the second year um uh, Wade, our boss, uh, sent sent me and Blair Herder to to it with a camera crew, and basically he basically just said, "Just come back with something." Like, yeah. like get, get, it's like here we have an appointment with this and a appointment with that. Like their their buddies, like you know, it was it was um uh the the I can't remember the name of it, but it was like it was like the the vest you wore that punched you in the chest when you got shot. Oh you remember yeah, that? The impact. Im- yeah, it was like what was it called? It was it was banner than I. You're right. Yeah. It, was, it was like an impactor, like the the immersifier yeah, or something. It was basically like, yeah. this bulletproof, it looked like a bulletproof yeah. vest. It was strapped yeah. on, and if you got shot in the chest, it would, like, punch you yeah. in the it had, chest. Like, it had, like, four things. It would punch you in the chest or punch you in the back, depending where you got shot. I might shot. still have one somewhere. And it wor- I mean, it did work. Um, but they were, like, $800. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> and then the other thing was we were going we were gonna had to do a segment on the world cyber games. No. Um, beyond, beyond the game. Beyond the game. <laughs> Which was uh, at the time fronted by uh, Blaine, uh, uh, Blaine Howard, who's now at Microsoft, who uh, uh, became actually became the editorial director of X Play a few years later. Oh, that's Uh, crazy! He was uh, he was he's a good friend and um, also the the largest closest thing to Superman I know. (laughs) He's he's a very large muscular man. He's 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 like it's, it's it's like someone drew him <laughs> and um but he uh, was running the world cyber games then he was friends with blair and uh we hung out and did this thing we had to do and at one point we're like okay now wait we, we did that and we did the vest like what else do we need to do and i was looking around at the other booths and i realized that every time i looked at a booth someone at that booth was looking at me <laughs> and i was like it's like when you're walking through the and, mall and yeah. there's all the kiosks in the yeah. middle and, and they're so, trying they're begging to make eye contact and there was a lot of blank space on the floor oh there was thing. and they were sort like of like ghost town. yeah there was the booths were all sort of like the, they were like lined up in a kind of a big open rectangle yeah and so i said let's just take the camera crew into the middle of the big open space we're just going to stand here and stand here and happens. get some drinks and just uh, and we sort of stood there drinking some coke and like 
slowly people would <laughs> come out in. from the from the side and like do you want to? i'm like yes we do and so we so we, that's how we did it like we would just sit in the, sit in the center here. with a giant camera crew yeah. and like they'd come out and we'd come over and do like stuff at their booth and we'd go back and we'd wait for the next person to come out and ask if we and we yes we do so we, so that was what we did all day it was like we just waited for people to come ask us to do something and we did it. we came back with a bunch of stuff did a segment and, and then uh not surprisingly, the one, the one other one thing I remember is, is one of the booths that came out and got us was uh, Entropia, which was this MMO where you could pay real money to own property in the game. To own and it and and it had right like a month or a couple months before that happened, some dude who I think they said who had like been like left by his wife or something and like had all this money and didn't know what to do with himself bought like a moon or like a oh, like a like a like an asteroid in the game and turned it into like a big like pleasure island thing for like a hundred thousand dollars or something and like and like then like sold it again for like a profit like it was it was like the biggest real estate transaction <laughs> in like digital history or something yeah. I'm like it's the biggest real estate transaction for nothing yeah. is that what you mean for um, so that was like their big thing they were pushing was like some dude just gave us a ridiculous amount of money for non for an imaginary space island right um, I remember that I, st I think I still have the demo disc for that. But it I, was, I don't and then they shut that down. They shut that. That was like the most exciting thing there. Yeah. So that is probably why e for all shut, announced that that was the last time they were doing that a few weeks later. And look, a lot of times something fails and then everything goes through the cycle again and you come back around and mm. then they try it again. I don't see something like E for All being tried again. No. I think well, if E3 dies, I think it's just gone. Maybe, but I, I don't think E3 dies at once. I think E3 slowly fades away. And, I think that's and, what we're seeing in front of our eyes right I don't now, think, though, I don't is think, the fading. No. We're just at the so. early stages of the fading. Mm, I don't see it in that kind of like spiral yet. I think it could be. I haven't could seen be. anything getting added. So two years ago, they added the general public. Yeah, the but general public then, is a big ad, though. It is. Like the... the the general public will keep this thing alive in some form for a long time just out of inertia and from reputation. One of the reasons people didn't go to e for is because it wasn't called E3. Right. And E3 is going to have that mystique to it for a while until it becomes no, kind of notorious for something that's not worth the money it costs to go to it. But, like, I could see it becoming sort of an e for all sort of show as the, if that spiral happens and it just continues to spiral and you get, like, maybe four or five years from now, like... You know the booths I described, like that kind of scenario. Like that's all that's left. Yeah. And like now, now you're like your your booth that used to be like pushed over to the far side of the South Hall. Now it's you in Sony now spot. You, yeah yeah now you can get like right where Sony used to be. You know you could, yeah. you're you're in eye line when someone walks into the hall. Like that's the change that happens, and you've still got people that you know want to go to E3 because E3 is E3, but E3 is not E3 anymore. But people still showed up, and ESA is still making money, so they're like, we got to find a way to get people to keep coming back and in the end you know i think i think you're right eventually that just sort of disperses and that's the end of it um but like in terms of what e3 would become to us or to like kind of the hardcore demographic who doesn't want to spend five thousand dollars to go to la and see a bunch of things they have to wait in line to, to play for five minutes um i could see e3 because i think you're right that announcements would still be a thing but i could see it whole the whole thing shifting to being you know, basically a full business conference on site, but the publishers still like kind of follow Nintendo's lead and just do like a, a direct sort of thing. Just and put so out e trailers. Yeah, E3 week becomes sort of like, they all do sort of like an hour long pre-produced direct sort of thing that sort of goes over their announcements, shows what they're going to show, and that's the end of it. Yeah. Like, that's it. And then at Gamescom, people get their hands on it for the first time on a show floor. Like, that would that would, that'd be kind of the dual, the double whammy.
Well, we're still four months away from E3, but we're kind of at that breaking point where publishers have to figure out if they're going to put down the money for E3. Mm -hmm. So I think once we make it past the end of March, we're pretty much locked in and we shouldn't see any more defections. But next few weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing a couple other publishers here and there bailing out. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much at the point where they have to decide right now. So I think the biggest canary in that coal mine is Ubisoft. Yeah. If Ubisoft decides they don't want to do it anymore... That would be really Ubisoft bad. is like if the friend that comes over like for anything stops coming, coming over. over. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. and you're like, oh wait, if I must have done something yeah, really something, bad. Something's, like, what? <laughs> yeah. something in the house smells terrible, and no one will tell me what it is. But like, um, it's, it's like it's the ESA. <laughs> I can smell your ESA. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but, um, yeah. So so I, for me, like the the. Like, the death gong would be Ubisoft announces that they're not going to have a booth. Yep. That would probably that be a breaking point. Not just because they're so ubiquitous and so... And so... Um, <laughs> and also, it's like, so, like, you know... But they've got their hands in everything, yeah. you know? Like they're it, also from Europe. Yeah. And so, if it's, like, Domino's, as one starts to change... We've seen it with the other pub the American publishers at yeah. E3 already. So... Uh, there's a lot to talk about for E3 2019 as we kind of start ramping up to uh, the mid-June date. And we'll keep you guys abreast as things break. Uh, let's move on. We're going to talk about Anthem again, people. Three episodes in a row. It's a gigantic game. It is swirling with controversy still. Uh, we're obviously not going <coughs> to spend a ton of time on it. But we're going to talk about a couple things that happened with the game this week that are pretty freaking crazy. So... I think the biggest story, at least for me, uh, is that Anthem was shutting people's consoles down. <laughs> think about that. It wasn't just crashing and sending you out to like the login screen. It wasn't sending you back to the dashboard. It was shutting down consoles. Mm -hmm. That I don't know if I've ever heard of a piece of software doing that to a console. I've had I've had that happen with the PS. Shut down. Yeah, it just, it just crashes and dies. Really? I've never had that and happen. And then I had to go up and start it up, and it starts up, and it yells at me about not turning Shutting it off it down, properly. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't do it, jerk. And, well, so, and then it restarts in safe mode and yeah. warns you that all your saves could be gone, and then they aren't. They aren't, but yeah. Like, and then there's a couple, I guess at least one person said that Anthem bricked their PS4. Which, uh, um, yesterday, EA, bless their hearts, put out a, a statement saying that no one's consoles were permanently bricked. Mm-hmm. Gee, thanks. <laughs> Put that one on the box. Yeah. <laughs> Will Put not it. permanently brick console. Yeah. Now, I, to be fair, I have not had a single crash on Xbox One X. Really? Ever. I didn't really have crashes. I had. I got booted out to. I think we talked about this last. Yeah. Booted out to like the main. I've screen. never. I've gotten hangs. I've had moments where like it took oh, a connection while. problem. And it hung, but always got back in. I never, I've never been booted out of a mission. I don't think. I had a problem where it would not uh, count completed missions for me. Hmm. I had to complete the same mission five times before it finally counted. I would finish the mission. It would get to the screen where it tallies everything up, and it would finish that. And when it would go to the loading screen, and it would just kick me back to the boot screen. The biggest repeat uh, thing, I've, the only bug I've had multiple times is like when you're in a situation where like you have to kill all the guys in an area, like a non-respawn area. Yeah. Um, Three times the last guy I have to kill has been inside a rock. <laughs> and I couldn't shoot. Oh, man. Um, but, uh, two times I was able to use, like, an explosive or, like, a lightning strike to, like, kill him with, like, AoE. Uh-huh. Um, 
But one time I literally couldn't reach him, and I just had to leave the area and like fail the mission and start again. Huh. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's not a flawless experience. No, <laughs> I think that's um, well established. I actually stopped playing it for a while because I got. You may be able to hear uh, in my voice, but I got sick over the weekend. I must have brought something back from air travel. Uh, the week before, um, and I stopped playing Anthem just because, like, it was giving me a headache, um, and the repetition was starting to, like, mess with my head, like, just the same, this and the load screen, like, the repetition of things when I have a fever can, like, get in my head and, like, start to I don't, I don't think you're alone on that, I think it bothers like, a lot of people. And, like, uh, Anthem's just sort of constant by rote re- repetition with no peaks or valleys just was, like, starting to get to me. And uh, so I stopped playing it, and I ended up playing Fable 3 for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> I don't bizarre. know why that game got what in my head. What an odd choice. <laughs> also, uh, when I saw Captain Marvel last night, uh, they were running, like all theaters do now, they were running commercials before, you know, before everybody gets, gets in and the movie starts and the previews run. They're just running, you know, literal just ads. Uh-huh. And an ad for Anthem popped up. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, we're in an IMAX theater. It's a big, you know, it's a big thing, gameplay footage trailer, and it's sort of like doing like a dramatic read of a mission sort of thing. About halfway through the commercial, uh, the, the audio cuts out, and then the screen went black for ten seconds, and then the next commercial started. Oh, geez. And it was like, this game, game cannot, cannot catch a break. It cannot like, catch it cannot, a break. Like it's like you crashed the theater. <laughs> like, the, like even the theater crashed playing Anthem. So is he like you couldn't have written a no. worse script for this game? And, like, and so the other thing that happened this week <laughs> is that they discovered that the first weapon that you get in the game is the strongest weapon in the entire game. Yes. A little bit of a scaling bug. Yeah, um, it's a really small bug that has a gigantic yeah. impact. And also, like the most interesting thing about like the the demonstrations of that I saw were that. Uh, that the numbers popping up when you hit something are a giant lie. Yeah. Like, they mean nothing. Yeah. Once they get, uh, you know, once the scaling thing has been applied to it, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so it says a number, but that's not actually the number of hit points that you're taking from the enemy. Yeah. It it seems to, like, scale as some kind of percentage or something. Yeah. I mean, they said, you know, Bioware said, like, they, you know, yes, this is not right and we have to fix it. Um, Which is extra, it's extra funny because, like, the the level one weapon you start with you can't delete it, you know you can't break it down. Right. Like it, it's a, and if they'd let you break that weapon down, no one would ever have known. No, you're right. If they'd yeah. let you just like, just scrap <clears throat> it and get the resources from it, no one would ever know. Like somewhere, some guy was like insistent, like we can't let them delete that weapon, so they always have a weapon to fall back on, uh, somehow thing, and and everyone's giving that dude the side eye in the meeting, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like right yeah. now, it's just like. Nice work, Jerry. You know, it's like, <laughs> Look, it's a game as a service. So you always think, I mean, Destiny started out rough and it recovered. And, yeah. And so you, you have this, like, hope that maybe it... But then this stuff just keeps happening and it just seems like the chances of this game getting on its feet are just, like, zero Well, well it, It's also, like, really bad when, like, one of the problems you find is that the, the loot in your loot shooter doesn't matter. Right. Because yeah, that's the problem. Because your scaling system has sabotaged it. Like, yeah. And and you know, I'm sh- you know they'll fix it. And be, but like this is still already out there with the hardcore group, and like you know you're 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 just hurting word of mouth further. And it's becoming more and more clear that like this game's gonna need like a no man's sky level it is, re- reinvention yeah. update. That's fixing. a very very good way um, to catch it. And I just have a hard time seeing EA being dedicated enough to let them do that. Yep. You know, EA is more of a, okay, just move on to the next thing. I mean, literally, with company, you know, like, 
is it would have been impossible to fix that Star Wars game that Amy Hennig was working on? I don't believe that. I don't believe that been. either. But yeah. did they want to do it? No. Are they yeah. going to want to? You know, I feel like we're going to see this thing get its plug pulled in eighteen months or something, and that'll be that. It seems that way. <clears throat> right yeah, around, maybe right around the time Dragon Age Four starts starts being. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it has much of a chance to survive. Which is too bad because it, you know, like like you've said, you know, the moment to moment gameplay is pretty fun. It, you know, it works out most of the time. Like I do like flying around. Um, you know, it's 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 adjacent to a game I would really like to play, but it is not that game. Yeah. Not yet, if ever. Yeah. So I have a feeling this will actually be the last time we talk about Anthem for a while. Until that game in a year, uh, most disappointing game All right, conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, not for you. But yeah, like, I mean, unless they do <clears throat> actually dedicate the resources to turn it around. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. But um, like you, I agree that I would be shocked if EA does that. Completely it just, shocked. It would be very out of character for them. Be, I mean, I would accept it. I would be very happy to see that happen. But it just doesn't... It's not their. It's never been their mo. Yeah. So I'd be really shocked. So there you go, Anthem. I was hoping like over the weeks following its release, things would get better, but it appears that they've only gotten worse. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Or like you know, people just keep digging and they keep finding things. Yeah. You know, it's just, well, I think people also are. You, hit, you think they're you trying hit, to find? Yeah, stuff. they are. But I mean. They, not every game has that stuff to find. You yeah, know? that's true. And like yep. you know, you, every time you think they've hit the bottom of the barrel, it turns out there was a there was a false bottom on the barrel with another secret hatch that leads to whatever else is wrong with Anthem. You know, there is a certain <coughs> faction of people out there that are getting a pretty big level of Schadenfreude out of this game. Oh, doing for sure. Poorly. Uh, sure. They're like people who say that they don't hate the game have become targets for them to go after. Yeah, there's a, there's something like that happening. It's kind of funny right now. Yep, kind of funny. Apparently, his Patreon has been hit really hard yeah, because and, Andrea and Greg said that they uh, they don't think it's as bad as everybody thinks it is or says it is, and people started pulling their money from their Patreon as a, uh, in response to that. Yeah, um, the response on YouTube to me talking about it last week wasn't like that. Like people were like, I don't, you know, I agree with you. The gameplay is better than people were making it out to be, but. I can't get past all the other crap mm-hmm. like you can. People were res- were respectful when they disagreed with me, but apparently in other places that's not been. Yeah, well, you're also case. not a girl, so that's sad. Um, Greg's I, not a girl either. No, but Andrea is getting most of the the flack on uh, this one. That's not a surprise. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's not. I don't hate it. Like it's not like the worst thing I've ever played by any stretch of the imagination. It's just yeah. It's it's just disappointing. It's disappointing, and it's an example of how the games as a service thing can sabotage what otherwise should have been a pretty straightforward project. I mean, yeah. like if if they were allowed to just make a single player action RPG out of this thing, I feel I feel like it would have been pretty great. You know, it would have been it could have been another Mass Effect for them. Yeah. But that's not what anybody. Yeah, it's not what any of the shareholders want. They want a, a constant revenue stream at this point, and that ends up with games being compromised uh, and sort of shoved into that mold. And I think that's what we've seen. I, th- I, you know, I think I think EA just came to them and said, you know, here's this thing you're working on, make it into a Destiny, and that's what we got. You know, this is seven years they've been working on this yeah, game. Yeah, I know. Like, re- I think they've re- the word is uh, I think Schreier or somebody said like they re- they've restarted it twice. During development, yeah. Um, if you look at the early stuff that Bioware put out for this game before it was named yeah. or anything, it looks like a completely different game. Yeah. When also you had all the stuff with like, you know, con- a continuous seamless world, 
Clearly right. not. Yeah. Uh, being able to pick up new missions and dynamic mission stuff from the Striders out in the field. Clearly not there. Maybe yeah. one day it will be there. I mean, they t we've talked about adding that, I think. But, yeah. you know, and like there's a lot of weird balancing things. That it's just like, you know, I think the patch on Tuesday is going to make the Titans much less bullet spongy, which is like, who didn't know that was going to be an right. issue? I mean, like yeah. the first thing you, when the first time you fight one of those things, you're like, this takes forever. Like even with three people. Yeah. Um, and like the weird thing where like, you know, like the, the story is clearly about one freelancer. Like there is no reference to or a kind of explanation of the three other people you're playing these missions with once you get out into the gameplay world. I and think like, they, they're, they're in a position with that though because those three people are always going to be different people. Right. But yeah. like, there's also there's no mention of like you and the other freelancers or like right. you and you and that's in a square. No, even the voiceover that you hear, it only it acts as if you're the only yeah. person there. Yeah. yeah, and which is like, it's weird. It's weird, but it's also like, well, if that was originally supposed to be a more of a solo thing, you can't go back and re-record all that stuff because it's too expensive. Yeah. So you just like make do with what it is, and you hope that nobody notices. And unfortunately, there's people like us who notice everything. Well, also, <laughs> when you play something for like 40 hours, you're going to notice just stuff yeah. like that. So um, and that's not like a thing that kills the game, but it's, it's kind of contribute. You know, there's all these little tiny. It's a death of a thousand cuts. You know, yep. it's just little things that make it feel like not like itself or not gelling like a like a cohesive whole or just like you know like you're you're not being told the whole story to some degree. And uh, I think it's also the, it's, it's the, it's also the victim of like, happens to be the game of its kind that came out at the time when kind of the core gaming demographic is just tired of that happening. You know, yeah. like they're tired of the games as a service thing. They're tired of games being twisted in development by publishers who want to like monetize them in, in not even necessarily consumer-unfriendly ways, but in ways that don't make sense in context of the game that the developer's trying to make. And they're tired of these games that are like Destiny launching with all these problems that are so similar to what Destiny went through. When, like, you'd think that Learn having seen this happen, you would know not to do that. But then again, you kind of end up in that situation where just, so, you know, we said it and a whole bunch of other people have said it. You know, this game needed six months to a year longer to bake. Yeah. It's not done. We talk about this when we do uh, our Game of the Year awards at the end of the year every year about um, disappointment. Mm. And disappointment is a function of how excited and anticipated you, you and how much you anticipated something beforehand. And so people are supremely disappointed in this game because their expectations were really high, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, there are other games that are worse or maybe appeared better and then were way worse than this one was in reality, yeah. but it's not as big a deal because people didn't care about those games as much as they cared yeah. about and this even one. A game being disappointed doesn't even necessarily mean it's bad. Right. It just means that it didn't Hit meet what, we what were you hoping. were hoping for. Yep. And, um, and they had no compulsion, compunction about making us hope on this one. Yep. Uh, hey, Jay Pellet, <coughs> thank you for subscribing via Twitch Prime. And Don Lionheart says it's been 14 months in a row that you subscribed. Thank you very much. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Nintendo. Uh, so we talk about EA, and we never have very many good things to say about EA, <laughs> rightfully so. Um, and sometimes I feel like we maybe get that way a little bit with Nintendo. I think Nintendo fans would say that we're not a Nintendo-friendly podcast because mm. we're not, I mean, we like Nintendo's We're games. not anyone-friendly. <laughs> but we call it like we see it. We call it yeah. right down the line. It does, the platform doesn't really matter, and I think for a lot of fans of of consoles that can rub people the wrong way. But I feel like this is a case where we can talk about Nintendo and give it give it its due. So this week, uh, one of the developers that Nintendo works with on its mobile projects 
did an interview and it basically said that, you know what, we could make a lot more money if Nintendo would just let us do with its games what we do with every other mobile game we develop. Mm -hmm. So basically it's saying Nintendo tells us, hey, we don't want those predatory practices in our mobile games. And because it's Nintendo and they're mm. floating the bill for the project, they have to remove that stuff. And they're saying that not only is Nintendo making less money, but Psy Games, that's the developer, said that it is also making far less money off Nintendo's mobile projects than it had hoped to. Matt, what do you think is the right answer here? Because when you start talking about mobile games, there's a certain expectation of how they monetize things. And for better or worse, I think most people would agree that that assumption is that it's shady and probably a little predatory, uh, but people have grown so used to it. I mean, you see it all the time in all kinds of different walks of life. People get so used to something so bad that they no longer view it as bad. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what happened has happened with mobile games. Now, no matter what, we're going to praise Nintendo for being consumer friendly. I mean, period. That's just the way it is. But if you're a stockholder of Nintendo, which I'm not, but if you are, how do you feel about this? Because um, that's a tug of war. The yeah. consumer versus the stockholder is something a company always has to wrangle with. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, apparently, if I'm a stockholder of anything today, I am angry if things are not improving infinitely forever upward. Um, even though that is not possible. <laughs> um, I feel like I would be more happy that the Switch is doing so well and that the mobile thing to me would just be sort of a side gig. Um, if, if Nintendo, just a bonus. Yeah, if Nintendo was in more dire straits, maybe it would be more upsetting that they wouldn't go for the throat to make whatever money they could. But they aren't. Like, they're kind of riding as high as they've ridden in the last 12 years at this point. And um, uh, like I, I, don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It wouldn't be to me as a, as a stockholder, but I am not a crazy person yeah. as, as, far, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be the judge of that. <laughs> um, I mean, I appreciate their stand on that. They're like, that's not how we want to do things, not yeah. what we want to make. So, um, uh, you know, and if they did go the other way they wouldn't really be the nintendo we know anymore yeah because nintendo does have it in their dna that like they at least give lip service to the idea that they want people to have fun first and foremost uh you pay for it because their pricing structure is a little more rigid but it might be because they aren't willing to go cutthroat to get make an know, extra make dollar. that extra dollar on you know dollar on the dollar because if you look at a game like fire emblem heroes it's doing really well for nintendo yeah. without being slimy yeah, and I, I play it moderately, um, and I do feel like they're pretty generous. Like, they pop up things on my phone where it's like, come now and get a five-star thing. And, and, you know, yeah, you get a free five-star hero. Um, you know, they want you to spend more. But, like, I haven't spent really any money on that game, I don't think. Not outside of, I think, maybe, maybe five bucks during one event. And that game and was like, free when it launched, right? Yeah, yeah. and I, it's still free. And I get uh, I get tons of heroes and various, and, like, you know, four and five stars. And, like, I don't even really try or play it that hard. It's very generous. So, like, yeah, um, they're probably leaving a lot of that money on the table from, like, you know, the really addictive, addicted whale kind of demographic. But if Nintendo doesn't want to be part of that, like, more power to them. Like, great. Like, if more game companies did that, we would have better mobile games, frankly. So, yeah. I mean, I think the shareholder point is a valid observation. But uh, my gut reaction is I could not possibly care less what those people Yeah, think. me either. So, <laughs> I don't own any Nintendo stocks. Yeah. So I, I could care less what they, what they care about. 
But as a corporation, that's something that's always in the back of your mind. Uh, do you think that it, that Nintendo may ever change its stance on how it's doing things now? Maybe, but um, I don't. You know, who know who knows what uh, what Bowser is going to do? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, like, seriously, you don't know. Yeah, like you know, who knows? So now there's new leadership. New leadership in Japan. New leadership in America. Exactly. Was Reggie the last bastion <laughs> standing between us and predatory mobile game practices? Who knows? It's Pro possible. It's possible. Probably but not. Doubtful. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like Nintendo. I feel like Nintendo's board would have to be pretty much on the same page for yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you can make the case to your shareholders as Nintendo that, like, you know, this is just not who we are. Our company is is a little friendlier, a little less cutthroat when it comes to that. Because, but it's, because when you think about it, it's like they are pretty cutthroat when it comes to competing with their industry competitors. They are, yeah. But they're not cutthroat when it comes to exploiting their customers. Yep. Which, it, unless they're charging them a lot of money for cardboard. Um, but uh, even then, they try to mitigate that with the ability to print your own. Yeah. So uh, I, I feel like if you're invested in Nintendo and you're upset about that, I don't think you really understand the company you invested in. Yeah, that's a good point. You haven't done your due diligence, yeah. essentially. Which is the There's first thing you There's a thousand other before. companies you could invest yeah. in that will do that, yeah. if that's really what you want them to do. What about like um, Animal Crossing Pocket Camp? It is not done very well. No. Um, I mean, I know several people that play that every day. Yeah. Uh, but they don't spend money on it. Right. Because they don't have to. Yeah, they're not it generating doesn't force revenue it to. from it. It doesn't force yeah. them to spend money on it. That's so is there like a point where... Like you're, you're like okay, maybe Nintendo does need to look at how it's developing yeah. mobile games a little more closely. Maybe I mean, I because think... if I didn't stick with Pocket Camp, I no. bounced off, and I'm a big Animal Crossing player. And after like a couple of days, I was out of there. I think the better, I think maybe a more Nintendo solution for that would be to charge upfront for the games. But you, you know, know, Pactor hates. Yeah, he thinks I know. that's like the road to ruin with mobile games. But like, you know. Five bucks and you don't have to worry about, you know, microtransactions unless you want to, which is already kind of how they are, but at least you get, like, five bucks out of everybody up front. Yeah. Um, and then, like, kind of do, like, expansion stuff. For another five bucks, you know, eight, nine months later, you get all this new stuff. And it's, again, it's not like a random thing. It's not like a gotcha pun, like, you know, random, you know, loot box thing. It's more of a, here's new content if you want to pay for it. And if you don't, you're still, you can still play. It's still fine. Gotcha. Um, I just feel, you know, it's it's an alternate method and it might not make money hand over fist the way like the microtransaction, uh, you know, like loot box. I mean, it's not loot box. I mean, I'm, you know what I mean? Like the, the gotcha, yeah, yeah. gotcha pun, uh, capsule machine sort of thing. I mean, loot boxes. You yeah. don't know what you're getting until they're open. Yeah. I just like, I don't think of them as loot boxes on mobile games because they're usually not boxes. Right, right. You know, they always have like, some <laughs> other little <laughs> avatar that they use for um, it. And, uh, I feel like, you know, that could be a kind of an alternate method of distribution uh, that Nintendo could explore because, A, they clearly don't want to do the standard sort of, you know, slot machine idea, and, B, um, they have the resources to fall back on if it fails to do something else. Uh, they're not going to go out of business if this idea, this way of right. pricing, like, say, didn't they work. They have the luxury yeah. of being nice, basically. But I think, <laughs> I think if anyone's in a position to sort of explore new, more customer-friendly ways of getting mobile games out there on, at a, on a profit, but also in a fair way to the consumer, Nintendo's it. Yeah. Like, because they, they have the money. It's, it's sort of their third pillar, yep. you know, and they can sort of, well, I guess, second now that the 3DS yeah, is going away. Yeah, I guess it away. is, yeah. Um, which is crazy to think about. But I think Nintendo, just as a company, is going to have to experiment with that and find a find a place where they're making enough money to keep 
kind of the people they're working with and their shareholders happy, but also keep the people who run Nintendo happy with the idea that they are still themselves. Yep. There does seem to be a, a pang of conscience at the top of that company that uh, doesn't really go away no matter who's running it. No, you're right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is one area, I think, where we should just commend Nintendo. Yeah. I think it's done a great job with its transition to mobile. It's um, held that line for years now. It has. Like, I mean, it was resistant to mobile games. And then when it finally came into the market, while, again, if you're a stockholder, you're probably not happy with how Nintendo's handling that business. If you're merely a consumer or someone that just likes Nintendo's games, it is absolutely knocking it out of the park. Mm -hmm. So keep doing what you're doing, Nintendo. Don't listen to those rich folks who are trying to influence yeah. you. Because that's really what it is. The, the rich folks just want them to squeeze every penny out of Nintendo fans. Yep. And uh, Nintendo, at least so far in mobile, has been very consumer. Isn't it enough they priced the Yoshi game at top at 60 bucks? Yeah, exactly. Come on. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about something that's not so fun and sunny. Uh, and that is Steam, the latest Steam controversy. And it seems like there's one about every four to six months. Yeah. Roughly. If we're not to put Half-Life 3 out, we got to talk about something. Yeah, <laughs> we do. And the latest controversy on Steam is that there is, a, or was, a game on Steam called Rape Day that was on Steam for months, by the way, mm -hmm. while it was in development... Uh, and nobody seemed to really notice it until recently. Nope. And then as it was coming out of development and into early access, it surfaced and people started discovering it and people started freaking out. And so this game, it's called Rape Day, is about, it's a post-apocalyptic game. So the apocalypse happens and suddenly rape is okay. And... That's really all the game is about. You yeah. go around in the apocalypse and rape innocent women. Yeah, it's you know, it's like 30 minutes long or something, like I said. Yep, and basically it is... The guy who created it basically just tried to fill it with as much vile stuff as he could across its 30-minute runtime. So there's we, we've got some screenshots here from the game. We're not going to show it in motion. Uh, it's not a particularly good-looking game, but I will say that it looks better than I thought it was going to look before yeah. I ever saw the first screenshots of it. But you can see just from these screenshots, like that one right there, you have the choice. Basically, you play as a girl, and you have a choice of, do I get under the desk? Do I huddle with my coworkers? Here you can see an actual rape scene from the game. Um, apparently, the original version of the game actually had a child murder in it. And you'll see a screenshot from that scene coming up here in a second. Literally, an infant was murdered in the game initially. Um, it's a god-awful game. I mean, I think you can see just from these screenshots what we're talking. It's terrible. There's really no redeeming value uh, to the game whatsoever. However, is it a free speech issue? No. no not, not in any way. Why? Because Valve is a private company. If they don't want to sell something on the service, that is not a, private, a free speech or a censorship issue. They are not the government. The guy can sell his game however he wants, whenever he wants, but Steam doesn't want to carry it, and that's that. You're absolutely right. Um, Steam has taken it <clears throat> off of 
I don't know why Steam doesn't have something in their freaking algorithm that alerts them when someone puts a game with rape in the title on their service. Yeah, you would think that, like, even on Twitch, you can set up, like, keywords and stuff. Like, like, I understand that Valve prides themselves on being reactive to stuff like this and not actually patrolling their own service, but, like, how is that not a thing? Like, could someone just put a game up called Fuck, Fuck, Fuckity Fuck, and, like, you wouldn't notice until it got out of green light? Like, what is going on? I think probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it. I mean, they put out a statement about it, and basically they said what you just said, that Unfortunately, with our business, you have to be reactive instead of proactive. Well, I'm going to make a new game called Valve Sucks and we'll never notice this game is here. And, and, and Jim Sterling will play yeah. it and review it. Yes. It'll be, a, it'll be a, an asset flip racing game uh, set on Mars. I feel bad even laughing during this topic because this game is so vile. It is, but it's also like... So is the guy who made it. If you read yeah. his, I mean, he, his whole point was he wants to normalize rape, normalize the, way, rape. the way murder has been normalized yeah. his in video games. His argument for why this game should be on Steam, should exist, why he made it was that murder has been normalized by video games, movies, and television, and rape hasn't. And, and apparently he doesn't understand that there's a reason for yeah. that. Or that there's a difference, apparently. Right. <laughs> it's... um. I mean, you know, probably what happened here is is like his best case scenario. Like suddenly everybody knows the game exists and uh, we're, to- we're talking about it. We'll want to seek it out. We'll seek it yeah. out. Go to his private website where, where he doesn't lose that cut from no. Steam either. I mean, I've heard of it. That's the only way I would have heard of it. Yeah, exactly. Is that, is that I this happened. Yeah, I mean, I don't dig around in the bare, <clears throat> the bottom of the barrel. No, I mean, I know Steam. that these things exist. Like, you know, hell, we... we uh, did some like overviews of games that have very Japanese uh, hentai games that have very similar uh, premises uh, back on X-Play. They're not quite as they're not as as overtly, graphic, but like you know, like we, we uh, one of uh, did we do that? Maybe we didn't do that. There was one we called, had pitched. It was one called Biko, yeah. which you basically stalk people through a through a subway station and kidnap them and and rape and kill them. Yeah, like that was the whole game, right? And I think I think what happened there is the intern played it and was like, I don't think you can show this on TV. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, yeah, that's probably true. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like because we started the, those segments with like sexy beach, right? And very and, and people just we and started ordering. We started ordering like whatever we could find because there wasn't a huge market. And some of these things we got in were horrifying. What's like, the big one? Rape lay. Rape lay was yeah, yeah. like a fighting game where you knock everybody's clothes off or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, this game though to me is. Is the farthest extreme like those Japanese games? As, as matter of fact, when I saw this story pop up, I first thought it was like a typo for right rape play. Right. I was like, wait, did they make another one of those? And it I'm ended sure up that Steam was also part of his ideas. <clears throat> like, let's get the title as closely as possible to this other thing that people may be googling or whatever, yeah. and it gets dirty. So I agree with you a thousand percent. It's Valve is a private is a company. It has the right to put on its service whatever it wants. And basically, the the excuse that Valve gave for cutting it was. It's bad for our business. That's a loaded statement. Um, in term, both in terms of the things Valve does that's not good for its business, and in terms of like, can't you just say it's vile shit and you don't want it on your damn service? Like, why the the, the, the weasel wording of how they they phrase because it they, is gross. Be, to me. Let, let, you're right, it is gross. And the reason they're doing it that way is because they know that there's a contingent of people that like content like this. Right. 
and they don't want to scare them off from buying the other stuff on Steam that they're not going to remove. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the sad truth of it all, if, if you really want to break it down. I mean, that's also why this game lived on Steam for several months, before, and Valve did nothing until people started freaking out about it, and there were petitions being signed online. Then, even then, Valve took days mm -hmm. to take this down from Steam. Like, can you imagine, like, Sony doing that? No. Like, or Nintendo. I mean, not, or... I mean, not that that's possible in the same way that, like, you know, stuff it gets, but or even, like, GOG. Like, yeah. it, it just doesn't, like, nothing is, is so readily abused as Steam in terms of, in You're this right. way. And it's because it's the Wild West. Just recently, here's the other rub with this whole topic, is that just recently, Valve basically came out and said, we're hands off now. Mm -hmm. We tried now, right? Well, they, <laughs> they contend that they tried to be a gatekeeper and that it wasn't working and it just caused more problems than it solved. Yeah. And they were like, "Look, we're just going to let the wild." Have you ever West... consider that maybe you're just bad at it? Yeah, or you're just not throwing enough resources. Right. I mean, that's really what that's what really what it is. is. Yeah, because it, everyone can... else can do it. Right. You can hire enough people so that you have a human being look at every video game that's submitted to your service. Mm -hmm. It's not even like YouTube where any Yahoo can record something on his cell phone and immediately upload it, yet right. somehow YouTube can police all that stuff. We're talking about a game that somebody develops and puts onto your service. There's not like a and thousand... And calls it that. Yeah. Like it's, not, not, it's not hiding. Yeah. It's not like there's a thousand games uploaded to Steam every day. And even if there were, you can still afford to police right. that. Valve is just like, look, we don't want to spend a ton of money on it, so eh. Like, <laughs> it, it, again, it astonishes me that so many people are so blindly loyal to Valve when there's so many instances and evidence that should suggest to them that they should not be. Um, I get it. Valve made some great games like 20 years ago. Yep. Like literally like 20 years ago it's been. And so I understand that a lot of people really like Half-Life and they really like Portal. So what? Like, at a certain point, you have to hold everyone accountable for the things that they're doing. And while... And Valve is bigger than, than those games. Yes. You know, like, like when, I, when I think Val, say Valve is terrible at what they're doing here, I'm not trying to condemn the people who made Portal. Right. Like, they didn't do this. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're game developers. Yeah. It's Valve corporate. That seems to be the problem. So, you know, when we were talking about a lot about how it's uh, in the same way that you can maybe uh be angry with ea for what happened with anthem but not hate bioware right you know yeah, like this, they're not the same people not the same entities are not calling these shots yep yeah so valve is just more monolithic because their internal workings are a little more impenetrable yeah well it's like when we were going through this we were talking about epic game store and valve and how you know valve has been gouging <clears throat> customers taking more money than it should have all these it was crazy to see how many Valve fanboys came out of the woodwork. Gouging developers, too. Yeah. And to defend Valve and say, oh, 30%, blah, blah, they should, can take whatever they want. They did it first. And defending Valve instead of the developers. That's not who, how anything making, works, I know, though. Like, I know. But it shocked me how many people Undercutting the, the competition is basic capitalism. That's how it works. Like, yeah. That's, you provide the same service for yeah. less? Valve's just being able to ride solo for so long that people like forgot that that's a thing you can do. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that we live in a capitalist society. So uh, I'm sure there are probably going to be Valve fanboys that are going to stand up for Valve. In this instance, again, it did ultimately take it down, but having it on your service for a couple months yeah, and then being alerted to it and, and waffling about it for right. three it's or like, four It's like, congratulations, days. you did the right thing, eventually kicking and screaming. Right. 
Like, yeah. That's not what I expect from Valve. Valve, to me... I mean, it kind of is what I expect At this from point, Valve, it is. But, yeah. You're right. But, but it's not what they should be. Right. They're, they're an industry leader. That's not, that's not something that leaders do. No. Valve should be setting the example for everybody else. Yeah. Leader, leaders don't generally just go... Oh yeah, I guess you're right. We'll look at it. Like you that's know, not leaders how you, are decisive yeah. and they make decisions very quickly and they make the right ones. And Valve did not do that again. So I don't know what the answer is because apparently Valve's not willing to throw the money at moderation that it needs to. Yeah, they're just gonna say let we'll just schluff it off onto our community to do it. Yeah, even though we have plenty instead, of money. Inst- I don't. That's what I don't get. Is instead they're doing what with it? Just banking it? Like what? I don't know what they're yeah. like. What are they doing? They already laid they laid off a bunch of hardware people, including the VR hardware the VR guys. VR hardware people. Um, After so. the rumors of them working on an HMD. Yeah. We, what are they doing with the money? That's what I'm saying. Like people keep giving Valve a pass. They're not your friends. Team Fortress Two can't possibly cost that much to keep going. Uh, I mean, look, I, I once you get to a certain age, I think it's hard for for you to comprehend how people can rally around a company anyway when they're just taking their money. Um, when you're younger, you don't quite understand how things work. You're just like, I like what they make, so I love them. Once you get to a certain age, you kind of get over that stuff. But with Valve... Um, certain things. I guess? I don't know. I don't really have loyalty to anything like that at, at this point in my life. Uh, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Pittsburgh Steelers. The, you know, they're still corporate They are. That's a good point. Entities. Sports like teams. That's, you know, that's true. It's just there's no social stigma about not outgrowing that. That's true. You know? That's a good point. Um, also, but also, I mean, also because they engage with it. But that's the same thing where it's like you can root for those players and those coaches and those teams and still acknowledge that the people who own those teams and run those teams are scum in some cases. Well, I, don't know, a, I don't know specifically about your teams, yeah. but like that's the same. It's like, you know, I can love the, the portal guys and I can love the people who make, um, you know, the, the games whenever Valve gets around to putting one out. Um, and still think the people that run Valve and run the side of Valve that you know manages Steam are doing the wrong thing. Well, to take your analogy, the sports analogy. So Sam walks in today. We when Sam walks in, he and I always talk about sports for a little bit. And I go in the other room. You do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and today we were talking about there's a Pittsburgh Steelers player right now, a really good one, one of the best players in the NFL. His name's Antonio Brown. And there's all this crazy stuff going on about him right now. He's basically trying to force his way off the team, even though he's still under contract. And we were talking about it, and I was like, bon voyage, dipshit. Like, I don't, I don't care. I'm like, you, to me, you're a cancer on the team. We, they never won anything while he was on the team. And so I was like, I don't care. Sayonara, say la vie. And Sam was like, what? Like, you, you don't, you, it's Antonio Brown. But, and so, for, again, here's an instance where just because he's a Steeler and he played for this team that I root for, I don't like him. And so. And there's people that would hit you in a bar for saying sure, that. Sure, there are some. Yeah. But. I think the vast majority of Steelers fans... Not all of them are younger than you. No, you're right. <laughs> but I would say the vast majority of Steelers fans do believe what I believe, which is, mm-hmm. see you later, we don't want you on the team, we don't care. Well, there's also an element of, like, Pennsylvania sports fans seem to be a little... They're more dedicated. They're, they're dedicated, and they're, but they're also, like, like, whatever... Like, they will turn on... You know, there's no, like, blind loyalty to, like, various player or whatever. No, there's, there's not. There's yeah. only, like... We need to win, and if you are not getting us to win, you need to go. That's pretty and much it. Whereas, yeah. like, you know, I come from, up, you know, up San Francisco way, and, like, you know, it didn't matter how terrible uh, the Giants were. Like, yeah. pe- you know, people just like, oh, the Giants are going to pull up. It's like, no, not, no, not those people aren't. I got yeah, yeah. But, like, the idea of, like, saying that, like, the problem was, like, that you don't have a good enough team 
was blasphemy. Right. Um, so, like, I see, I know what you're talking about. It's just, you know, and, and in the game world, it does sort of manifest as, like, rooting for these individual corporate entities. But, like, that's just, that's just how it, you know, that's where tribalism, tribalism goes, yeah. you know. And no matter what form it takes. And look, when I was you younger, also you also see it with like people that like will defend Elon Musk for anything. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's just sort of how it is now. And when I was younger, I was a fanboy of the Steelers. Like mm. I, anything they did was just golden. Like it didn't matter. Like I didn't know. I had no clue how it worked. Or I just I rooted for the Steelers. And if the Steelers won, I was happy. And if they lost, I was sad. But now that I've gotten older, I understand the business. That's changed. And I feel like for most people, that should happen with video games as well. It definitely happened for me with games, but it doesn't seem like that's happening with Valve. For whatever Mm -hmm. reason, people are willing to stand beside or behind Valve, no matter what it seems to do. It's really bizarre. Yeah, I mean, it's probably it's probably pretty hard to see past that like thousand game library you have. Yep, you're probably right. Yeah, like that's such an investment. Yep. And you start thinking about all the Steam sales that you where you've got like twenty games for like four dollars, and and you don't even. It's like, okay, what if something really bad happens to Valve and Steam goes away? What happens to all those games? Right. Yeah. Now what happens is they just let you download them or have you know that would probably still exist in some way. I hope. But like, um, but Gabe, that's also Gabe, ridiculous because Steam's not going no, away. Gabe has actually <laughs> said that though. Gabe has said if anything was to happen, they have a plan in place that would. Oh really? You know, I mean, the problem you'd run into there is like, do I have a hard drive big enough to do that right. with? Right. Mm, you might have to add thirteen terabytes or so. But like, and maybe that is part of the problem. Is it that it's Gabe? People have resonated with Gabe since the beginning. Yeah, there is an element of this where I'm like, what does Gabe think about right. this? I think every time something happens at Valve, that's I feel the like first Gabe thing wouldn't be happy with Rape Day. Exactly. That's I think about that every time something happened with Steve or, Steamer Valve. I'm like, because I feel like I know him. Like I kind of do know him, and so uh, that's the first thing that pops in my mind. Like, what would he think about this? Is he does he care anymore? Is he even engaged with the company anymore? Like, it I makes me think that he's not. That he is just kind of a figurehead now. He comes to work like yeah. once a week, and then how old is the game? Pretty old. I mean, he's sixties. Yeah, I mean, I. That's like right now. It's hard. It's kind of weird. Like like realizing that all you know. God, watching the Oscars and seeing uh, Dana Carvey come out, I was just like, oh my god. Old. We are old. Yeah. Like, that's what Dana Carvey, how old Dana Carvey is now. And you gotta wonder when does Gabe just say, I don't care anymore. I got yeah. more money. I could ever. I'm like in my sixties. Like when does he step away? And then what happens? So. Yeah, he's just hanging out with George, and, George R. R. Martin right now. There's no, no, no one cares. And it's not even that I really care that people become fanboys and become so, so obsessed with a company that they'll overlook it. The problem is, is when you're overlooking all the things that they do wrong, they're never going to fix them. Mm. As long as you have people there as cheerleaders saying, that's great, that's okay, then they're like, whoop, doesn't look like there's a problem to me. We'll <laughs> just keep rolling the way things are, and then things never change and get better. So, uh, you know, we talk about fanboys on this show a lot. And uh, I think this is one case where typically they're harmless. Mm-hmm. They go online and they start arguments with people, but they don't really affect me. But if you really start thinking about it, as, as if they're an echo chamber for what the publisher's doing, the publisher is never going to change. And that's not just true of Valve, that's true of all of them. So uh, I feel like we're doing a disservice to the industry and to some of these publishers, in all honesty, by letting them slide on stuff like this. And in my opinion, I think Valve gets away with more than any other publisher. Yep. Yeah. I, I can't I can't find a way to disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully Rape Day is gone. He can sell it to the 1,000 people that are going to go mm-hmm. to his website and buy it. 
and it'll be gone for good. Hope, hopefully Valve learned a lesson, but if you let them off the hook, they're not gonna. So uh, you need to hold people accountable. Otherwise, they're never going to do things the right way. They're never going to change. So. And uh, I have accidentally turned the chat into football chat. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> people are talking about football? Yep. <laughs> nice job, Kyle. Everyone's like, oh, it's a good point. And then, like, you started talking about the, the Antonio Brown thing. And, like, oh, it just started. It went off. <laughs> that Antonio Brown thing, like, I, I realize most people watching this probably have no idea who Antonio Brown is. But if you're into football or into sports, what's going on with that right now is, like, unprecedented. Because he is essentially saying, I won't go anywhere you trade me, even though I'm under contract. And he can't. I mean, he's a human being. You can't force him to go to some other city. I mean, you can can sue him for breach of contract. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's looking like it's going to come down to, in all honesty. Anyway, I don't want to get on sports too long, even though you guys are all blowing up the chat with it right now. (laughs) All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Sony's first party games for PlayStation 4. So... We came into this year, we did our fantasy draft, neither of us drafted any games. We drafted an alternate because why not? It's like a wild card, maybe mm-hmm. it works out, maybe it doesn't. Uh, but we didn't draft any Sony first party games, even though they'll probably, if they do come out, they'll be some of the best scoring games of the year, presumably. Uh, so we, But we don't know any release dates. We know there's mm-hmm. three big games that are still in the hopper. There's Death Stranding, there's Ghost of Tsushima, and there's The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah. And we don't know release dates for any of those. But this week, news broke on all of them in that regard. So, first of all, Death Stranding. Kojima went on a radio show in Japan, and they started asking him questions about it. And he let slip that the game's behind schedule. What a shocker. I don't even know if he let it slip. I think he was just like, you know what? I need to get this out there. Yeah, I, th- I think that was the point of that interview was to, like, warn people. Yeah. Which is extra funny because, like, there was a schedule. You didn't know. We don't know what the schedule is. Like, how would I know that game's late? No, I think the blurb on Sifted was, like, it's hard to delay something when you don't have a release date for yeah. it. But now it appears that it's coming later I mean, than expected. I would guess it was like in response to the fact that like so many people have this sort of theory that all these Sony games are coming this year. Yeah. And there had been a lot of rumors that like Death Stranding might even be June. Right. Um, and it, it felt like this interview was sort of his, his chance to sort of like be like, don't expect this in June, folks. Like, it's, I think it was him saying, don't expect it this year. I think that's also correct. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly what was going on right there. Uh, and not a surprise. I mean, it's Kojima. He's delayed every game he's ever made. Yeah. I mean, frankly, if it's only like Except for that, maybe Boktai. Even if he gets it out next year, it's still going to be a pretty crazy turnaround for a Kojima game. Yeah. I mean, that'll still be a very short yeah. development uh, schedule yeah. for like, That's a very games. reasonable development cycle. Yeah. I mean, that's what you expect. Three yeah. years. Yeah. If you want a good game anyway. Uh, if you talk to Pac, you need eight. What? Well, yeah, I mean, he would... So people are... Is well, he a star citizen back? Because no, no, that's no. what he, they say, too. He but. was making a point about people railing on uh, Anthem and why Anthem is, like, kind of busted and broken and saying that, you know... And people are comparing it to Red Dead Redemption 2 and packs like, that's not fair. You know, Red Dead Redemption 2 was in development for eight years and they probably had a game that worked. So was after Anthem. Eight years? They started oh, Anthem right. in 2012. Yeah. Seven years, but still. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know what else they made in seven years? Assassin's Creed 1. Yeah. You know what they made in three years? Assassin's Creed Origins. Right, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I guess maybe time doesn't matter. A lot of it is just up to the skill of the developer. Yeah, like a lot. I mean, Assassin's Creed 1 took seven years because they had to invent a bunch of tech for it. But I didn't like, realize Anthem had been in development for seven years. That's when it started. Like I, like they, like that one, was it Schreier? I can't remember who, if it was Schreier or like a Polygon thing, but it was like they basically, the, the word was that they basically started over twice. Wow. Um, nobody knows what it was or why or whatever like that. But I mean, I think it was always like Iron Man suits in a, like a alien fantasy world thing. Right. But like... Um, yeah, 20, the, the project's been around since 2012. Wow, I didn't know that. So, yeah, Anthem had quite a development cycle. I mean, I mean, what problem. we're playing now probably did get made in about three years. So wait, when did Mass Effect 3 come out? What year was that? Mass 2012? Effect 3 was 2012, yes. Yeah. I think that was like 2012, like three days ago or something yeah, like Yeah, so that. I guess you're right. Here we are seven years later. Yeah. Because this is the next game from that team. Is it? Has anything come out since Mass Effect 3 from that well, no, squad? I, no, I guess they did. Was, oh, it was Edmonton. This was Edmonton, mostly? Yeah. Yeah. Because Dragon Age 4 is backburnered for, yeah. And Andromeda was another... Andromeda was Montreal. Yeah. yeah. And then Vancouver is just So you're right. Support. They had seven years to make this game. Bum, bum, ba dum <laughs> But again, if they started over that much, this, what we're playing right now is probably a two to three year development. You're right. Cycle. Yeah, probably now is like a three year game. Yeah. And it happened. You know, it yeah. happens. But like... Um, if you know what you're doing and all the tech's in place, it doesn't take that long. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot. I think we'll never know the full behind-the-scenes story on that. But, but anyway, um, back to the point of Kojima. Death Stranding, I feel, even though uh, we don't know what the hell it is, I feel like Kojima generally does have a pretty solid, uh, no pun intended, um, like plan in his head for what he wants a game to be. Yeah. I don't think he has a good idea of how long it's going to take to get it there. Not always, <laughs> no. Um, I feel like Konami would not disagree with you on that. Yeah. Uh, certainly Metal Gear Solid Five is yeah. not what Kojima imagined. Uh, and, and it was in development for a really long, long time. time. But like Death Stranding seems like, uh, I'm curious how long it's going to be. I'm cur- I, I, I wonder would be if shocked gonna... if it ends up being episodic. I really wouldn't. And I know mm. people would freak out about it. But it may get to a point where Sony's just like, look, man. like I don't think that'll happen, but I would not be totally shocked to see like a Ground Zeroes yeah. sort of thing yeah. happen. Where like a little, you get a little taste, a little taste of it. That then hold carries, you over it carries and carries in finish somehow. It up. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. Uh, just to get something out there, just right. to you know, just to you know, just to put a foot down somewhere. Yep. Uh, and then to address the other two games, so Ghost of Tsushima. There that, was a was, was it a, a retail leak? A German it was a, retailer. It was a German retailer leak that listed a release date of August twenty August thirtieth. Thirtieth. It was thirtieth. It wasn't the thirty first, which is important. Yeah, the very last day of a month tends to be placeholder. It, right, and 30th. this wasn't. It was the thirtieth and not the thirty first. So people are freaking out, thinking Ghost of Tsushima is going to come out here in the and next. The thirtieth is a Friday, which also which tends to be a, a release day for now. big games. Yeah. yeah. Now, I would be thrilled if that was true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd be thrilled if Death Stranding came out this year. Absolutely. I would take this over Death Stranding 14 times over. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's a good question, actually. I would take this in a heartbeat over Death Stranding, because no, I know Death Stranding is just going to annoy me. <laughs> Even if I like it, there's going to be stuff in it that annoys me, and this is Sucker Punch, and Sucker Punch just makes me happy. What I'm weighing um, right there, though, is the mystery of Death Stranding versus what I know is going to be an extremely high quality for Ghost of Tsushima. Right. I just don't but care a known about quantity. the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, wow, I don't care what Death Stranding is. I really <laughs> don't. Like, it's just so blah to me. Um... 
like I'm gonna be interested to see what it is, just because like it it annoys me when someone doesn't tell me something. Right. <laughs> but like, it's not like a, oh, I can't wait to play that because I all I know I'm gonna do is walk through an area with a box on my back. Right. That's, that's all I know. <laughs> Whereas Ghost of Tsushima looks great. Um, it does. And I did I, mean, I did talk to uh, some of the Sucker Punch guys um, in a bar uh, last E3, and uh, I did ask. Um, uh, Brian, the one of the co-founders, like, uh, like, is that on a PS5? Is it? Is it like? Is this like next gen teasing? He was like, no, that is a PS4 Pro. It's all this gen. I swear to God. He he basically implied I would play it sooner than I thought. Mm. Um, so that would. To me, it's not that far. That would line up pretty well with a this year release date. So that of all the games that, that we you know we don't know yet, this is the one that I've been kind of secretly hoping is the one that makes it this year. One you know, if any of them make it this year. Uh, because A, I want to play it the most because it's Sucker Punch, and B, um, they just seem so confident about it when we talked about it at E3, when I ran into them at E3, um, and, like, they were all so happy about the re- response, and so, like, like, po- like it, cause sometimes you talk to developers, and they're like, yeah, I mean, we're doing a thing, we're getting, they're like, it's great, like, it's gonna be <laughs> great, like, we're so, yeah. they're so happy about it, they were so, like, happy, clearly, like, you, you know, you know when you see, you, you, you like, when we talked to the Insomniac guys about Spider-Man when they announced that at yeah. Factor's party that year, yeah. you could tell these people were thrilled to be working they on what they're working in. on, and yeah. that is not a given in game development, no, no, believe not you at me. All. And, but no, these every all the Sucker Punch guys were like super enthusiastic and positive about both the response and what they're working on. So like that is always like a really good sign to me that a game is going to be something special. Definitely. Um, and then the final game of the trio, The Last of Us Part Two. Also this week, it, there was a poster that leaked out from some Mexican retailer hmm. that showed it is coming out in October. That would seem to be the right time for that. Halloween-ish. Yeah. It all, yeah, I mean, it didn't have a specific date. It just said October 2019. It would be a little out of character for Sony because Sony usually doesn't put their big first-party stuff in that period. They, they lean on Call of Duty and, like, the big third-party stuff. Yeah. But, like, like I kind of believe that news. Like, yeah, I kind of like, 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 <laughs> feel like that fits. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that's a perfect month to release it. And it, it. gives you a year... To make the PS5 special edition. Yeah, which is exactly what they did with the first. With game. The first one, yeah. It's identical. Yeah, which I might add is exactly what I said they were going to do with this. Yeah, from the beginning, from I the believe. Beginning. Literally from like the beginning, yes. I think you said that. So I didn't realize have... how many, I didn't realize how many other games would also get that treatment because I feel like all of these games are going to have that. Happen. It's probably. I feel like you're going to be able. I mean, you're going to play. I mean, I just think either every that game or backwards compatibility, all whatever. Yeah. Like all these Everything. games are going to look amazing on PS5, and that's going to be one of the things they try to sell it on. Um, but they're going to they're going to get that money from you first. Yep. So let's let's rate them. Which one is more likely to come out this year, in your opinion, Ghost of Tsushima or The Last of Us Part Two? I think Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like. Um, you know, Last of Us is art has been teased from, you know, a lot. I will and like, say, though, I, and I know games... like Ghost of Tsushima, we've only really seen that one thing. But I also feel like Sucker Punch doesn't really do the thing where they tease you for years. Yeah, I mean, they honestly for both. And it's about games, time. Yeah, for both games, we've got about the same amount of media. That's true. Yeah. We got a, yeah. a a new a first trailer, and then we got like a gameplay trailer that a was a big chunk and of and gameplay. A gameplay chunk. Yeah. So they're on equal footing, pretty much, is what's been put out there so far. So. Yeah. So I and I admit I am picking Ghost of Tsushima in part because it's the one I want to play. You want to play the most, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I really do think if I had to bet on one of these coming out, I would say it's this. Um, 
I feel like there's a very strong chance uh, that Last of Us 2 could also make it, um, but it also wouldn't shock me if Last of Us 2 got delayed to Q1. The spacing makes sense, too. Just because yeah. Naughty Dog's got to do their thing, yeah. and Naughty Dog sometimes finds they need another quarter. Yeah. The, the spacing makes sense, though, too. If it does. You have, if you have Ghost of Tsushima in August... And then mm -hmm. three, three and a half months later, you get The Last of yeah. Us Part Two, And then maybe you, you manage to get Death Stranding out in March. Yep, before the end of the your fiscal. And that's your fiscal year. Yeah. And that's a and pretty strong fucking fiscal year is. right there. It is. And then in 20, and then that fall. And then you can roll right into PS5. You have PlayStation 5. You have all these hot games you just released that will play on the PlayStation yep. 5. It's all starting to kind of, all the pieces are kind of starting to fall into place. Yeah, so maybe it's not that far-fetched that all three of these games come out. It still doesn't quite explain why they're skipping E3 no, but like it's, um, it really doesn't it feels like there's maybe there's more to that story than we even originally thought yeah I mean apparently they don't want people to play these games before they come out or they're gonna do PSX and get let people unusual. play in there yeah. Yeah, it's weird but if, if PSX happens or if we wait till PSX then the year's over so right or maybe they bump up PSX this year who knows I'll tell you this much if you really want to see what game what uh, Death Stranding is like plays like I bet I bet you're gonna see it at the game awards yeah I mean, I mean, that's the not a romance. Is yeah, make yeah, it that's not a crazy <laughs> bet because yeah. of uh, Keeley's yeah. relationship with Kojima. But right. like, um, I feel like the timing is right for that to be like. You know, I, I, I think you're going to see the first like kind of actually what do you do gameplay demo there, and you're going to get a release date. All right, you heard it here first on Game Face, folks. <laughs> Although some of that's probably contingent on whether PSX is that same week. Yeah, which it often is. It is. Yeah. All right, well, let's set that. Actually, this topic segues perfectly into the next one, which is another first-party exclusive for PlayStation 4, and that is Days Gone. <laughs> the one nobody really cares about anymore. It, you're right. Like, it seems like, and I can look at the numbers on Sifted, and I can tell that, you know, it's there's always a natural curve. Game announced, spikes, mm -hmm. goes down, 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 down. First big blowout. First bag, yeah. big blowout goes back. And it's just every game follows it. Yeah. But for this game in particular, the... The drop has been more precipitous. Like it's noticeable, and I mean, it goes back even to our draft at the early at the beginning part of the year. I'm putting together a list, and I'm like, man, I don't even know if I can even draft this game. Yeah, I did though. You did. And I I intentionally didn't. I don't want it on my team. Yeah. So it might, I'm probably gonna review just fine, but like for some reason, this game annoys me, and I don't know why. <laughs> so well, I think part of it may be the initial round of previews that were done for this game were not really auspicious. They, no. And the footage that they gave to Game Informer, which we're probably going to see here in a minute, was not great. And if you read the previews from Game Informer, who kind of had the exclusive look at the game, mm -hmm. the previews weren't exactly Yeah, glowing. it really felt kind of like, it's a game. Yeah. And you can play it. That's kind of what it's it like was. It's, it wasn't negative. It wasn't... It was... It was just sort of like, It was just it not is. encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> And that you want encouragement when you're talking about a first-party exclusive. So here it is, Star Killer's a biker now. Yeah. <laughs> so Sony has given some outlets an updated look at this game, and probably the most common thread amongst every outlet who got to check it out again was, "Holy crap! This is like an entirely different video game from when I saw it the last yeah. time." It's been like eight like the, months. Yeah, like that last delay apparently was not just for polish. No, they've made huge changes to the game mm -hmm. in the what, last like yeah, half what, year what they're describing is not the game i watched played for half an hour uh at e3 last no year at all no like it, it's it, none of this was there yeah 
Well, they've changed everything, and I've, I've been taking notes on the coverage over the last like four or five days, and we're just going to run through some of the stuff that, to me, were the biggest changes. Um, the Probably the biggest of them all is that, story-wise, there's now player choice. Hmm. So there's like one scenario where um, one of your allies has a shotgun, or he loaned you a shotgun. And he asked for it back. And you have the choice of giving it back to him or being selfish and keeping it. You keep it, you have the shotgun for the rest of the game, which makes the rest of the game easier. You don't, you soil the relationship with the friend, and then maybe he's not there to have, get your back later on in the game. This was never mentioned about this game. In fact, people who had played the same exact section of the game earlier, Deacon just gave the shotgun to him. You didn't have the choice to keep it if you didn't want to. And there were a few other instances of player choice in the first couple hours of the game. So people are just like, what? Like, how do you incorporate something like that so late in the ball game and have it actually have significant ramifications on down the line inside the game? Um, I would think that that's not su something Sucker Punch would just do haphazardly. Sucker Punch might not, but I don't know about Sony Ben. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, you're right, though. Like, but or you mean Sony? Maybe that's a decision yeah. that Sony made. Um, and Sony Ben was just like, "Well, we're just gonna have to do it because they're paying for this damn game to be made." I don't know, but it's crazy to see. And they've some... been paying for it for a long time. Yeah, I cannot remember. Is this another seven year. Mm, yeah, Getting maybe a little there. less. Five. Yeah, I guess at this point. Well, I don't know how long they worked on it before the announcement. Right, but I don't even think it's been five years since it was announced. I think it's been like three. Since it was announced. Really? Yeah. It feels like five. It does feel like forever. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Because it's... It, typically, the way PlayStation works is, unless you're talking about, like, Naughty Dog or Kojima, mm -hmm. they don't have gigantic marketing things beforehand. Like, I think God of War, we knew about it, what, a year before it came out? Yeah, about that. Yeah, and that's pretty typical for There's Sony. There have been, like, rumors, but, like, the actual uh, announcement. Here it is. Now you're playing it. About uh, a year. Went into full production January 2015. Yeah. So four, four years. years now. A yeah. over four years. Yep. That's what I thought. I thought it was like four reasonable. or five. That's reasonable. Yeah. So somehow they've managed to get player choice into the game in the span of six months. Or maybe it was something they were always working on, didn't think they were going to use, and then ultimately decided, you know what, oh, we're going to put it in the well, game. Well, maybe you get that eight-month window, and they're like, oh, I bet we can do that now. Or maybe that's what they got the eight-month window Could have for. Been, like, I don't, you know, some of this was probably like target of opportunity. Yeah. Um, but like... They were not idle oh, no. during this delay. Let, let's keep rolling because there's a ton we got to get to. They added cinematics to the game. So sections of the game where before there was just text that popped up or like a voiceover, they went and added full-blown cinematics to flesh out the story there. Hmm. Also, it was announced this week that there are six hours of cinematics in this game. Yeah. Six hours. That's about on par with uh, like Sony's other cinematic stuff. So they, they've said already, direct from Sony Bend, that this game is 30 hours long. Mm. So that's one-fifth of the game is cinematics. Worked for Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, <laughs> or did it. <laughs> I, I skipped them all, so I wouldn't know, honestly. Well, I'm pretty sure this, this, this game will probably actually probably will also be about the value of friendship on it. <laughs> you can see that warming up. Uh, <laughs> But I don't know. That seems extreme to me. Six hours of cinematics for a thirty-hour game. That that's a big. That that seems like a big percentage. A of lot it. of time to spend with Sam Witwer. Yeah, <laughs> Deacon. His name is Deacon. <laughs> um, they added a tutorial to the game, 
which apparently before there that's, was no that's, tutorial. That's good. Yes, that would be a <laughs> positive thing to add. Yeah, which is like you would think that that's just like creating the game 101. What, Let's what have triple, a freaking yeah, tutorial. Yeah, what AAA first party game doesn't have a tutorial? Like that's... <laughs> but they've added one and they said it's very good and it's very descriptive and easy to follow. Not that they tell us if it wasn't. It's like, we added a tutorial. It's kind of terrible yeah. but like <laughs> you gotta play it anyway so what what are you going what are you gonna do uh and then a lot of stuff is they just showed it for the for the first time or they further explain things so uh there are multiple human groups like factions that you can work with uh, and you can establish trade between like your homestead and the other human groups um people are wondering why if deacon was such a hardcore biker why are you building his bike in the game? Mm. And it turns out that his bike is stolen. So he does have like a mm. badass motorcycle. And I, feel like the, I knew that. I didn't. I I don't know. There apparently it's some, it's new information. I feel like I'd heard that before. I don't know. Sometimes you hear things. And yeah, but apparently his bike gets stolen, and so you have to rebuild his bike from scratch throughout the course of the game. Yeah. I enjoyed that in Mad Max too. Well, the other cool thing about it is it, that they again they just talked about for the first time is that. You can like look through cars and rummage cars and get parts from cars and then use them on your bike hmm. to craft with. So it's not like you're just walking around and there's like this icon of like nuts and bolts that you pick up. You physically interact with other machines to get parts from those machines to help build your bike, which I think is a nice little touch. So they've come. They've basically turned uh, the, the the motorcycle is a relationship there. Yep. In the way there's a relationship with your horse. Yeah. In, in red. Pretty Day. much. Yeah. But when Sam Whitworth gets on the bike, he probably doesn't say, boy. No, <laughs> or maybe he does. Maybe he does. It depends I mean, on what he names his motorcycle. Um, motorcycle, boy. Yeah, the other thing that... that that's what Sony, Sony sidekicks have to, be, have to be called boy. Boy. It seems to be. Horses and sons and motorcycles. All boys. All boys. <laughs> uh, apparently, stealth is like the game. It's a stealth game. Mm -hmm. Which I thought there was kind of like an option that you could play stealthy. But that's really not the case. It is primarily a stealth game. So there are audio and visual indicators. First of all, there's a radar, which you never see in any of the footage. All bikers have that. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like a they little... They don't talk about it, but yeah. they have radar. They know that. <laughs> so there is a, a radar map slash radar thing in the bottom right, I think it is, corner of the screen, which they, ha they haven't shown yet. Um, and of course, it shows you enemies and, and things like that on the map and, uh, and objects of interest. But it also has audio and visual indicators to help you know whether you're hidden or not. Mm. Um, so I guess if an enemy can hear you, there'll be like, uh, like pings that flash from that direction. Uh, there are distraction techniques. So you can throw stuff to try to distract enemies and get them to go one direction so you can sneak another direction. Um, the crossbow is the most important weapon in the game. And there's different bolts that you can get for the crossbow. Big fans of Daryl, I guess. Yep. And there are stealth kills, which ever, I think every video game in existence at this point has stealth kills. Uh, but stealth, it, it's a stealth game. Uh, they basically said because there are so many freakers in the game that going uh, full ham with all your guns blazing, basically you just, you're going to die. Um, they said that the motorcycle becomes, if you decide to play the game that way, the motorcycle becomes like an escape hatch. Mm. That you'll eventually get overwhelmed, you need to hop on the motorcycle, and then you, and you need to ride and get away. But then they also said that there is some wildlife in the game that can run as fast as your motorcycle. So there are wolves that get infected and they become like superhuman. I guess superhuman isn't the right word to use. Superwoven. Superwoven. 
and uh, they can run as fast as your motorcycle. So mm. it, it appears that Sony Bend has tried to balance the game at least as far as well as it can. That's when you really wish you'd kept that shotgun. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But that's the other thing too. So because some animals can run as fast as you, combat from the motorcycle is another big part of the game. And they said it's very intuitive and easy. Uh, there's a healthy auto lock that locks onto enemies. Um, but they said that it's a big part of it. Like a lot of times you have to fight other guys who are on motorcycles riding alongside you or you have to fight the wildlife that's running alongside you um what else uh, there are random events that happen in the world um this is an open world game it really yeah. is in every sense of the word i didn't know if it was going to be like a faux open world game like some of the ones that we get oh, these days uh, like god of war yeah, yeah that's a good example god of war is a faux open world game open ah did you just make that up yeah <laughs> that's awesome it's a fopen world game. Anthem is a fopen world game. Anthem's a schluter. Schluter. <laughs> a loot that, shooter. So there's people that's trying to get that to catch on. Schluter. <laughs> and like, we need to stop those people at all costs. We do. And we will. If we'll, we'll do our part on Sifted to make sure that verbiage never appears on the site. Uh, but random events happen as you're going across the open world. Uh, freakers will lay traps and ambushes for you. Um, and there are also uh, freaker nests. Which, like every other open world game, are basically forts that you have to invade, right. kill everything and take over, and then that will necessitate fast travel across the open world. Um, what else? Tracking is a big part of the game. So, and they said this, this was also one of the biggest changes from the first time they saw the game was, and the, the first time they saw it, one of your sidekicks was the tracker, and you didn't really do any of the tracking. You relied right. on him. Yeah, he was like the more experienced guy. Yep, this that. guy right here, actually. Good job, Sam. That's that's the guy. So he, originally, he was like your I tracker. I thought this was the tutorial. Yeah. Where, like, the guy teaches you how to track, and now right. you know how to track. Right. Like, well, originally, this that guy was the tracker. Now Deacon does a lot of the tracking mm. all on his own. So some of the abilities that were handed to this sidekick have now been imbued upon Deacon. So... Yeah, that's six months. Everything I just talked about are changes that were made to this game in six months. And I have to say that I am way more excited for this game now. Way more. I really had just kind of become numb to this game and didn't care. After reading all this preview coverage, it sounds like it might be awesome. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I don't know. It, it looks so bland to me. Um, so I'm still going to play it. Like, I like open world stuff. I like, uh, you know... Like the idea of like having this open world game, but like a horde of monsters on, like super fast zombies could show up at any minute and like ruin everything. Like that's cool, but like it's just I don't know exactly how to explain it. I look at it and I don't care yeah. at all. Like I I don't care about that character. I don't care about this world. I don't. There's no interest to it. Just it looks like really weirdly generic. Well, they also like the new footage that they released for for this in the last couple of days shows Deacon before it all happened. And he's like right. this preppy, yeah. like, I don't know, he looks like he was a part of like Blink-182 or something, but he's got like this gorgeous wife and like he's living this great life. And so it's pretty interesting that they're going to at least show you some of his backstory a little bit. And I think that to me is what goes a long way in making me care about a game or not, yeah, I mean, is I'll how the human characters interact with each other. I mean, as long as it feels good to play, like I'm, I'll, you know, I, I can get absorbed in an open world. It'll be fun. That is my fear, though, Matt, um, is that it's going to be clunky to play. 
It might be. I don't it know. It looks just, clunky watching it. It does it look a little played. bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is old footage, but it uh, is. Yeah, I just there's nothing in it that makes me, you know, like five watching five to ten seconds of Horizon Zero Dawn, I knew that game was like gonna yeah. click for me. Yeah. Watching this, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm worried that this game is going to be like a collection of cool ideas that I've done, I've seen that done better in like five other games, and maybe they've never been put together in this combination before. But if you don't execute on it, it's not going to matter. Um, but maybe they will. Like I can't, I can't judge that yet. I think just I haven't played it myself. I've just watched it played for you know 20 minutes or so, um, and watched all the demo, the the footage that they put out. I'm not going to pass on it. Um, I just, I just, I keep, every time I see it, I just, I feel like a question mark appears above my, I feel like I turn, <laughs> I feel like I turn into a Metal Gear guard that just thinks he <laughs> saw Solid Snake. I'm like, hmm? What was I'll, that noise? I'll, I'll like, say, yeah. I was right there with you up until this week, but the reports, the new gameplay footage that I saw definitely jacked up my anticipation Yeah, the new, the new reports definitely make me feel better. Yeah. For sure. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I still feel like it could have a, an element of Eurojank, even though it's not made in Europe. <laughs> yeah. It just looks like, uh, after you've played games for a long time, I hate to say it, but you can kind of watch them and, and tell if like the combat's responsive, if it feels good. And this is the first thing that this developer's made on this scale, right? Yeah, um, pretty much. Not that, that not, you know, first time, I mean, look. Some knock it out of the park. Darksiders 1 was a first time, yeah. first game out of that company. I mean, yeah. And that was no lack of ambition on that one. No, nope. so, um, I mean it, it happens sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So and Sony, I you know Sony doesn't put out you know first per, first party garbage. Yeah, really. They they I've, I'm sure that they've spent some time trying to make sure this is up to their standards, but it's just the premise does not ignite curiosity or excitement in me. Um, and that is that I get that's a me thing. It's not you know. Doesn't mean people shouldn't be allowed to make biker games about zombies. You know, like just, You're not putting the kibosh on that. No. Just, just maybe not for me. But maybe it is for me. I don't know. Maybe this game could turn me around on the biker post-apocalyptic zombie Zombie genre. horde shooter yeah. genre. Maybe this is what I've been waiting for all my life. I don't know. Well, the, uh, the good news is it's five weeks away. It comes out at like the end of April. And yeah. so there's not much longer to wait. Uh, there's not much longer to wait for a big first-party game from Sony. Uh, so I'm excited for this game. It's it's coming now. It's not like this pipe dream. There's uh, there's really no concern left for me at this point that it's going to get delayed again. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to move into the acceptance stage that the game's coming out. <laughs> and then it's a first-party PlayStation 4 exclusive and all the stuff that comes along with that. And I am undoubtedly starting to get really excited for it. I... I'm at the point where I am at least feeling like it's going to be better than nothing. Okay. So I'll take that. That is that's not. What you can I, get. I don't always feel that way about <laughs> games. It's, it's sometimes it's just like, oh, that's coming out. And I'm going to have to play it because we have to talk about it, and I don't really want to do that. But I guess I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. And that would be a pretty good segue, but we got one more thing to talk about. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to move on. Uh, you guys may not know this, and it's hard to believe, but this is the Switch's two-year anniversary. It literally happened this week. It's been on the market for two years now. And uh, we just want to take a look back at the first two years of the Switch, kind of compare it to the first couple years for other Nintendo platforms, and then we're going to give it a grade for Nintendo's first two years. So in preparation for this, I started basically collecting all the games that have come out for the Switch in the first two years, and it's pretty impressive. First party, it's very mm -hmm. impressive. 
Um, I honestly think you could argue from a first-party software output perspective that the, the Switch is the best Nintendo console ever in the first two years. Can you think of a, of a Nintendo console that had better first-party support in its first two years than Switch? I can't. Um, I can think of ones that had more first-party support of interest to me. Um, I feel like they have kind of dropped that ball. Okay, well, regard. what console would that be and why? Um, I was more happy with the early output on the GameCube. Really? Um, but that was just because of my interest at the time. and Because uh, the, the launch of GameCube was really weak. Yeah, and the uh, it was, but it had stuff like Rogue Squadron and uh, Melee was right on the heels. Luigi's Mansion. Luigi's Mansion was pretty good. Um, I felt pretty good about the GameCube for the most part, which was not a common opinion at the time, I recognize. And uh, I also like... The, we, so we got, uh, the Super Nintendo was strong out of the game. Super Mario Sunshine, yeah. did that come out in the first two years of GameCube? Yes. Did it? Yeah, I think it was the year after. Yeah, I guess it was. Second year. Yeah, that was second year. Yeah. And then Wind Waker was like a year after that. Yeah, so that's not the first two it's years. not the first two years. And Eternal did... Darkness, was that first two years? I can't remember. Eternal Darkness was great. It was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. So there's like four really good games first two years. Yeah. We'll, we'll give it Eternal Darkness. So let's say there's four. Yeah. Uh, look at Switch, man. I can think of two. Okay. So. Um, I'll just run down them really quickly. Breath of the Wild, Super Mario One, Odyssey. Two. Splatoon 2. Don't care. Mario Kart 8. Really don't care. Really? Yeah, I already played it on Wii U. I don't care. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a Mario Kart Smash fan. Smash Brothers Ultimate, ARMS. Good. Mario Tennis. I mean, Mario Tennis. Really? We're gonna. I mean, I'm just saying. You didn't even like that that much. I didn't like it that much, but it's still a good game. And I'm just saying, you look at the quantity of first-party stuff. Most of it, yeah. really high quality. In the first two years of Switch, I don't think there's another Nintendo console that comes close. In terms of volume, probably not. Yeah. I mean, even if you Nintendo just... has never been super prolific about that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but it's this changed. Is, yeah, they've, they've made it... Well, because, you know, I think you're finally also in the point where they've realized they're kind of on their own on that Well, regard. I think the other thing that's helping is something that I talked about years ago on Game Face, which was if you unify those <clears> development <throat> studios and they're all creating games for one platform instead of splitting them across a console and a handheld... You probably have enough to support yourself. And I think yeah. that's exactly what's happening. I mean, the 3DS is winding it's down. It's been there's... a little slow to happen, but it's clearly getting there. Yeah, like, I mean, you... there's no sign of a, of a successor to 3DS. No. There might but be. I think you see it uh, most, I think you see that most clearly in the, the new, this year's schedule. Yeah. Like, they, uh, you know, they, they clearly have enough to kind of fill out each quarter, and it's probably because they don't have to spend use, use up teams keeping the 3DS in games. Yeah, and it may stay that way. Like, Nintendo may not release another, like, a successor to 3DS. Like, this might be it. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for the foreseeable future, I would say that's true, yeah. And I, I just think it's just paying huge dividends. I mean, it's, you look across... Well, it beats the hell out of the Wii U. It, oh, weird. man, it annihilates the Wii. I mean, I think it, I think it annihilates... Every Nintendo console. The only one that I was a little bit shaky on was the SNES. In terms of the first two years? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I certainly I would say the first two years of the Super Nintendo and the first two years of the GameCube have were better to me than this. Although, for me, the Switch problem... The problem with the Switch for me is that the first year is 
fucking amazing, and the second year was complete dead zone to me. Yeah. Like I had, there was almost nothing last year. Uh, that and you're really, not a big Smash player. I like Smash. I mean, Smash was Smash and Pokemon. Let's go were the two best things from the first party last year. I mean, they're the only major things really. Um, but I like Pokemon a lot, and I thought Smash was good. You know, I, I, I you know, I thought it was a solid, like, kind of ultimate. You know, it was exactly what it said. It was ultimate. It had everything. You know, and I played it for a while, and uh, then I was done, and that was it. You know, but it was great. It was cool. Uh, I was glad Simon Belmont finally got in there. But um, in terms of stuff that like really keep me playing and coming back to them, like the Switch didn't have much last year. Whereas uh, I played a whole lot of Zelda, I played a whole lot of Mario, and uh, those both you know both the Zelda and the Mario games. While I don't think the Zelda game is the end all be all of video gaming ever made, like the that some people seem to think, I would put both uh, Zelda and Odyssey in the upper third of their franchises. So for sure. you can't really ask for more than that in a single year that two of the biggest franchises in video game history get two of their better entries on the same system in a launch year. Like, that is yeah. about as good as it gets. And look, I love Splatoon. So Splatoon 2, to me, that's a yeah. gigantic release. Pokemon Let's Go, that's a gigantic release. Smash Brothers Ultimate, that's a gigantic release. ARMS is a new IP. Not a gigantic release, no, but, but an a admirable good attempt. Game. But yeah. that's what I'm talking about. There's, like, you have the big boys... And you have the little filler games like mm. ARMS, like we're seeing right now, or like Mario Tennis, or the port of Mario Kart 8 to Switch. Like, for a lot of people who didn't have a Wii U, that's probably the game they play on Switch more than any other one, if you think about it. That would not it. surprise me that that's the most played game. Yeah, if you really, like, looked at the logs and the hours that people are spending, like, I would guess Mario Kart 8 is probably the most played game on Switch. So, I mean, I even, so I did go back and look at the Super Nintendo, and I was like, no, like, it, it can't hang with Switch, like... It's crazy, like, what Nintendo has done with Switch. Um, I mean, it only has so many IP, but if you think about it, what's left? There's Metroid, mm -hmm. and well, there, Fire Emblem's well, about well, to Animal come out. Animal Crossing. Um, the, the, top, the big five uh, Nintendo franchises right now by sales are Zelda, or Mario, Zelda, um, Smash, S Smash Brothers, and uh, and then Animal Crossing, Animal Crossing. and Splatoon, too. Splatoon. Yeah. Like those Splatoon and Animal Crossing are like round out the big five now. Like yeah. you, like people don't really haven't really gotten their head around that yet. But like Splatoon's huge. I don't care about it, but it's huge it because huge. it's just in part because it's the only thing like itself Nintendo has. But also because I still play it. Like the the character design has caught you know caught the imagination of the fandom. Like it's. You know, it's it's just it's an instantly recognizable thing. Uh, it's different, and like it's that's yeah. why I play it. And so that's it's like different. So like you can't and sales wise, Splatoon two puts it in the number five slot. Yeah. Like, so like yeah, Splatoon is a major force now, and so is Animal Crossing. So Animal Crossing is the last thing of Nintendo's biggest franchises that needs to hit the Switch, and of course most people do believe it will. But it is crazy that we're literally twenty four months into the console and we're scraping trying to find IP that hasn't hit. Switch. Yeah, well, at this point, you just want more of it. Yeah. Um, you know, you want another Zelda game. You right. Want another, you know, whereas opposed to, there used to, you, know, you remember, it used to be almost a tradition was with uh, Nintendo systems was like waiting for the Zelda. Yep. Waiting for the Zelda. Not now. This Zelda. one came out at the beginning. And then, uh, what was it? Uh, I mean, Wii U, you never even got the Zelda. Nope. I mean, no, we did. waited all day long. You did. All gen long. But we by waited. that point, it was like, well, I might as well just get the other, one, the new system. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, you know, the only other time was like uh, the Wii, which launched with the Zelda. Yep, and that too. So I was like, okay, surely the Wii had a better first two years. Uh, no, no, not at all. No, not at all. Like, 
I literally the think... Wii was, remember the, the, and also remember the Wii, and in retrospect, of course, he wasn't wrong uh, in terms of sales. But, uh, you know, the second year, there was a second year of the Wii where, like, he came out of that weird press conference and Keeley asked Reggie, like, where are the games? Yeah. And, and Reggie like, what do you like, mean? Reggie's like, we gave you Animal Crossing. And Jeff was like, uh, come on. Yeah. And, and, like, but, you know, sales-wise, Reggie was correct. You know, it, yeah. it did, it was one of their big things. But in terms of, like, the core gamer demographic, like, that's not what we're looking for. I mean, we will play Animal Crossing, obviously. Yeah. But, like, we're not looking for, that's not where the hype is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I just kept going, and I, and I was like, okay, well, not the Wii. And I just kept going back and back and back and <clears> until <throat> I got to the NES, and I was like, the Switch is the best Nintendo console ever made. Not to me. Not Think yet. about it. So you have all that great first-party output for the first two years, which, in my opinion, no other console comes close from, from Nintendo. Then you start thinking about what it's done with the indies, that it's got at least a a portion of the third parties to come back and play a little bit. I don't think it's going to hold. But the funny, the funny part is, and the why I came to the conclusion that the Switch... I think the indie stuff ended up being more important, oddly enough. Than I ever would have dreamed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't even believe how big it is on a Switch. But I think what really brought me to the conclusion that the Switch is the best Nintendo console the, and for the first two years is because most Nintendo consoles are dead after two years. It's like if you look at like the Wii... The GameCube, the Wii U, after the first two years, it was just a trickle of mm -hmm. software. And, I mean, Switch, it just looks like it's on this upward trajectory and it's just going to keep on going. And Nintendo's being smart with buying some of the third-party stuff, like it's doing with, with uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 and Bayonetta. You know, it, I just, everything is coalescing right now for Nintendo. To me, the only really big misstep that it's had is Metroid. Giving Metroid to Bandai Namco was a dumb idea from the beginning. It's a dumb idea now, and I could have told Nintendo that it was probably going to end up having to scrap the project and go somewhere else, which it did. So that is one part that sucks, but Metroid's also the only IP left for Switch. There aren't, there just aren't any left. Like, Nintendo's got them all out in two years. That, to me, is amazing, particularly looking at the track record of Nintendo over the past, like, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and look, I feel like we've been pretty hard on Switch, myself, I think you have as well, and rightfully so. Like, I think we've called out things that are legitimately problems, but I think we also have to admit at a certain point that Nintendo has played its cards right. Yeah, well, you, and can't, you can't argue with the financial the success. The success, yeah. Uh, but I can certainly argue with the fact that I have more of my favorite games on Super Nintendo and GameCube. Yeah, and, I uh, mean, that's you, you know? I mean, in, in the end of, in the end, you know, maybe the Switch library will turn that around for me, but right now, you know... I'm, I'm going back to where Link to the Past is or where uh, the Metroid Primes are. And, you know, maybe Metroid Prime 4 could turn me around on that. I don't know. Like, like we're, we're way early out? in the Switch's existence. There's yeah, Prime the, came out in the first two years. The library is not um, settled by any means, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. They get another Zelda game out with a template of Breath of the Wild but actually has real dungeons in it. Like, that could be my favorite Zelda game ever. It's true. So, we'll see. You know, like, there's a lot of potential there. Um, you know, maybe this Pokemon game is going to, you know, maybe Sword and Shield is going to be one of the greatest things I've ever played in the series. Like, that could be a big thing for, yep. for me. I know you're not as much of a Pokemon fan as I am. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's potential there. I just, I think year two was, was for me and what my interests are, was extremely weak. And, uh, you know, a letdown after year one, although Any almost anything would have been a letdown, letdown after, after year one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Uh, I mean, for me, I think uh, 
the first three years of Switch are going to be what define it to me. Because okay. year two was a bust, but year three is looking a lot better right now. Um, I, I, there's a lot of stuff in, in... Yeah, this year looks amazing. There's a lot of stuff this year that I think is, looks way more interesting and way more exciting <clears> than <throat> anything they did last year. I, I'm telling you, I think the Switch is going to be Nintendo's best console ever. I have a hard time... Uh, like there's there's just an era of the you know of the time it's like I always say like you know the golden era of science fiction is twelve because when you were twelve right. that's yeah. right. you're gullible um, enough there's a, but... there's a time you know there's a point of there's a time and place that that makes something special as much as its own quality uh, the stuff that I played and when I played it and why I enjoyed it when it was during the GameCube and the Super Nintendo like it's going to be hard for something to beat that when I'm forty three like yeah. that's, but you're and, you're yeah. letting you're putting on your nostalgia goggles though but everything is is that though like you know you're your uh, the switch library is not necessarily going to be more appealing to me than ActRaiser. You know, like like I love ActRaiser, and someone who played it for the first time today would not love it the way I loved it. Eh, but I don't know about um, that. but there was a point when we, you know, when my friend got that Super Famicom imported, and we put ActRaiser in, and we had never heard music that sounded like that come out of a freaking no, cartridge. Look, I hear like, that. You know? Like, I, I, there's no Switch game that's ever going to impact me the way Super Mario 64 yeah. did. It's just not going to happen. No. Switch game is ever going to affect me the way that Ocarina of Time did the first time I played it. But I, I feel like I do have the ability to kind of s- scrape those feelings off the top a little bit and just look at just the data. And, and then if you want to go the Metacritic route and say, what's the average review score per game you can. But I think just anecdotally, as someone who's been doing this a long time and been living and breathing video games since I was like four years old, I don't know, man. I think it's just overwhelming that the Switch is Nintendo's best console ever. Well, I think that's extremely subjective, and I don't know what you're talking about. Well, so. let's look. We're going into year three here, Matt. What did I say earlier? I said by year three, Nintendo consoles are basically done. It has been that way since, since the N64. The, since the N64. Since 1996. We're well, now year, in year th- 2019. Yeah. Year three of the uh, you know, post Super Nintendo, year three is sort of where you hit the point where the third parties sort of give up. Yep. And it's just sort of you're waiting each quarter for that get, Nintendo release. Right. And you get three or four first yeah. party games. It's when, it's, it's when the system becomes the Nintendo box. Yeah. Look right? at year three for Switch, man. Okay. This like, is going to be an awesome sure, year. But and like, there's still like a, at least a handful of games that probably aren't coming out till 2020 that are going to be really good. Right. But what I'm saying is like, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to like those games better than the games I like from their other systems, even if the output was a trickle by year three. And, like, I don't know. Like, I, uh, congratulations on Nintendo for making it to year three without, like, completely blowing it, I guess. Like, but it, it hasn't it, done that since the SNES. True. True. <laughs> I mean, the Wii, no, they blew it on the Wii. Like, um, I mean, oh, yeah, it, year three, they done. But well, they Wii didn't was done by, Wii, by year three. Yeah, it was still selling very well. Because like, people we were just playing care. Wii Sports. Yeah, and we, but it's like they weren't selling software. Right. I mean, the fact that they only sold like what was it, twelve million copies of Super Mario Galaxy on a system that a hundred and ten million I units know, sold. I know. Think about that. That's crazy. They should have sold so much more software. Ima- imagine if the Wii. But that showed you the audience that had the Wii. Oh right, but imagine if the Wii had the attach rate of the Switch. Right. Imagine if they sold like eighty million copies of Super I Mario mean, Galaxy. I mean, that's pretty much yeah. That. If right? you extrapolate it out, that's what the number would yeah. be. Yeah. That's where they're sitting with Switch. So. Um, I, I'm, I've been I've been tough on Nintendo. I did not think the Switch was going to be the hit that it is. I fully admitted that I was wrong about that, and I am fully admitting right now that I am absolutely wrong about the Switch. And I do think 
that ultimately, when it's all said and done, it's going to be known as Nintendo's best platform. I think it'll be definitely known as one of them, and it'll be the people who the people who are kids now. I don't know if Nintendo's ever going to top this system for them right. in the same way that I don't think they're ever going to top the Super Nintendo for right, me. Right, right. Um, and like, but again, the Switch remains my least played of the three consoles right now, um, just because it's still sort of. You no, know, you're right. And Mine the, too. And I mean, other, I have fully admit I play my Switch the least of all three. And the other thing is, although I, I will say now it's probably above Xbox. And I will say I did go on uh, I, I went on the eShop to get uh, Travis Strikes again uh, like a week or so ago because I'd have I had enough people that I trust say that like you know you'll like it it's good like it's really good it don't you know don't be afraid of it because it's not as traditional No More Heroes game. Uh-huh. So I went and I got it and but I will say that and and I do like it is. It is pretty good. Also um, a Switch exclusive. Yeah. And, um, but I will say this. I went on, because it hadn't been, you know, it only came out a few weeks before. Yeah. So I decided to just go to the, the you know, the, the game list and just sort of scroll through it to get to it. Two things. First off, goddamn, a lot of stuff comes out on the eShop. But the caveat to that is, wow, a lot of it is complete shovelware garbage. Yeah. Like, they're... We've I, stopped adding, like, it's um, It's astounding how much stuff in there is, like, yeah. a $10 version of a free-to-play mobile game. We've stopped adding a lot of Switch games to the Sifted database. And because, I, I and went down and down and down, and finally there was Travis Strikes again, and I got it. But it's like, I, I had not seen the eShop in a while, like, probably a couple months, and, like... I was not ready for the shovelware. I mean, Valve has a sorting problem. Nintendo already has one, too. Like, I want a button that just is like, show me games that I care about. (laughs) Like, I I know that's not a possibility, but it's just like... You want a sifted on the eShop, basically. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's what it comes down to. You want something that's going to cut through the clutter, which was the whole idea behind the site in the first place. So... Like, was this on a phone at one point? Do not show it to me then. Yeah. Which I think would cut out, like, 60% of what is in the new release, like... It's, it's so bad that we basically had to set a rule that any Switch game that is announced that is more than three years old, we're not curating, we're not mm-hmm. adding that game to the database, we're not curating content for that game. But then there's definitely the argument that seeing that looks still looks healthier than standing in the N64 section of a GameStop in 1998 <laughs> and watching the tumbleweeds roll through, yeah. you know? Yeah, seeing the boxes and they that still have been want sixty nine ninety nine for Kirby for God's sake. I can't, I can't get, do work with this. What are you doing? All right, so it's the two year anniversary. We're gonna give letter grades for the Switch's first two years. I think it's obvious already. I give it an A plus. What about you? I'll, um, hmm. I can give it like a B. Okay. Like a B or a B minus. Like the year one is an A plus. Year two is like a D. So, like, average it That'd out to, like, kind of like a B minus. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm, hoping that, I'm hoping that year three will pull the average up to, like, more of a B plus range. Yeah. Um, and, then the, and then they will get a substantial amount of extra credit if Metroid Prime 4 does not suck. <laughs> or if it ever comes out for the Switch. Yeah, I mean, they got some time. <laughs> they have, they have, I'm starting to are, wonder. There like... are many assignments between now and then before you have to worry about your grade, your final grade for Metroid Prime 4, Nintendo. It's, yeah. uh, I realize that's a ways out. Absolutely. Uh, so I be- might be on the Switch too. We don't know. Yeah. I'm also very curious to see what this you know what this revision is. Yeah. That it seems to be probably seems to real. be happening. Uh, but I'm interested to hear from you guys too. So in the comments, let us know your letter grades for the first two years of Switch. I think no matter what, I think everybody at least has to be a little pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I mean, 
I never would have dreamed they get this much software. It's definitely support. the best thing they've done in regards to you know figuring out how to play the game and play the market properly. Yeah, they're starting since to figure it out. Ever. I was in high school. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's been a long right. time yeah. since a Nintendo system was dominant. You know, the Wii was, but the Wii but was not a, really. the Wii was a fad for grandparents who right. wanted to play the bowling game. Yeah. Like it wasn't. You know, they didn't sell that to us. They didn't right. sell it for us. And the Wii, you know, a large part of the Wii U's failure was because they thought those they people were going to... They only sold to us. They thought the, <laughs> no, they thought those people were going to come with them, and yeah. they didn't. And so then they make the Switch, which, which you know, which specifically targets the people who stuck with them for the Wii U yeah. and added something appealing to someone who didn't want to buy a Wii U, yeah. but was not trying to get the people that bought the Wii and never took the Wii Sports right. disc out of it. Even though it still has so. motion controls. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan <laughs> of that. They still have that one toe back in the past. But that also, I mean, I feel like you also sort of need to keep supporting that because there are games you want to bring forward from the Why haven't generation. they made Switch sports? I don't know. It's a good question. There is literally hundreds of millions of dollars just sitting on the table with Switch sports, guaranteed. Yeah. Even if they just updated, like, the bowling and the tennis from Wii Sports, like... I know they kind of did that on Wii U. Mm -hmm. They made like a high-res version of it or whatever. So you really would you really rated an A plus? Yeah. Like even with the online crap and, yeah. the, and the terrible app voice app. Yeah, thing. absolutely. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Well then, wh where will they go when that's better? We'll get an A plus plus. Well, it took them twenty some years to get this A plus. So, mm. well, who's to say they'll ever get that you're not, back? You're not that too again. worried about that. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> this may be the last time it ever even hope it sniffs an A plus, um, and that's look that's for the first two years. So, year three, year four, it could start going down the crapper. I don't see that happening though. That's the crazy thing. Like I just don't see the momentum dying for this the way it did with all Nintendo's other platforms. So, kudos Nintendo, man, you've knocked it out of the park. It will be interesting to see how this new leadership team in both Japan and, and the U.S sort of shepherd this platform through mm -hmm. its last three years, they could totally screw it up. Like, they really could. Uh, so we'll see. But for the first two years, man, I have no qualms about giving the Switch an A+. None. Uh, I'm shocked that I'm saying this, considering where I was, like, two weeks before it came out. Hmm. Uh, I never thought that I would be at this place two years later, but here I am. Um, yeah, I just think Nintendo's just killing it. And I think the money backs it all up. <laughs> They're making money hand over fist, so... There you go. Switch two-year anniversary, which brings us to the last topic for Game Face 159, and that is the big game that just came out today, Devil May Cry 5. So, talked about this when the open beta was out there. I played it, and uh, it was a very small... It's funny now that I'm playing the full game to realize how small that section was of the demo. It's also crazy to think about how that demo was different parts of the game snapped together. Hmm. Um, like, if you when you play the full game, you see the area where the demo was, but what you experienced right before it and right after it is completely different. So Capcom did a good bit of work on that demo to make it something that people could play and actually enjoy. But playing the full thing now, I am on mission seven or eight. Um, I wish I had more time to play this this week so I could, you know, I, hope, I was hoping I could finish it but I just ran out of time. Um, I didn't get to play as much as I want, but I am at mission seven, so I'm like, I don't know, five, six hours into the game. Um, you guys have seen the reviews. The aggregate right now for on Metacritic is like an 87. 
Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about having this one on my team. Absolutely. It's uh, it's scoring needed, really I needed high. a morale boost after Anthem. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it could be worse. You could have picked Left Behind, which is sitting at a 3.9. They made another Left Behind game? Oh, not Left Behind. Uh, uh, the Square Enix game by the old Kojima folks. Oh. Oh, what's it called? Uh, Left Alive. Okay. Yeah. I never would have remembered that. Yeah. That, it's, a, it's like at a three aggregate. Three point something. Wow. <laughs> Between that and the quiet man, Square's really ripping it up. <laughs> really having a great quarter. Um, so I, uh, I love this game. <laughs> I, I, I have absolutely adored this game. I am having a blast. It is a thousand percent a throwback to the PlayStation 2 era. No doubt, it's like you, you, there's loading everywhere. You load in a level, you play the level, you finish it, you go back. You get your rating. To a, yep, you get your rating. You go back to a static menu screen where you select next mission, and then that mission loads, and you just repeat the process over and over until the game is over. So it is ancient design. It literally is designed just like a PlayStation 2 game before open worlds ever existed. But I am 100% okay with that i i this this genre in particular it doesn't need to be an open world no, game no character action can just be itself yeah uh, and like bayonetta shouldn't be open world this shouldn't be open world like you can just just make what they are but make them better and slicker and tighter and crazier yeah and that, that is a good way to describe devil may cry yeah <laughs> that's really a good way to describe it in general it's bigger it's prettier it's more responsive. It's deeper. Um, it's probably the best Devil May Cry made. I mean, I'm just going to go yeah. out on a limb and say it right now. It, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm only in, still pretty much in the prologue because um, it came out last night and I was at the movies and then I had to download it this morning and then you got here. Yeah. And that was pretty much, so I basically played, I played like the first two levels of this while uh, Shane and Sam talked about sports. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is actually pretty common. Yeah. That's uh, uh, sort of our, our pre-production ritual. Yeah, that is kind of how it goes. Um, I mean, I like it. I, I still, I feel like uh, a lot of uh, stuff from Devil May Cry 4 has not changed and didn't need to No, it, it is not. Um, uh, the lock-on is still very important. Like everything, like all the Devil May Cry's. So, and I don't know if I'm going to, in the end, say that it's better than 3. Because 3 is maybe the best game of this type ever made. Hmm. Um, but uh, it feels good, and it feels like itself, and even this early on, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy playing it, because it feels nice. It's, you know, and, and I like the, that they've, they've kept the sort of batshit crazy writing and, and cutscene I think it's unintentional, like, but... <laughs> I don't know, it's been that way for so long that like at this yeah. point, considering how production and translation and localization works, you have to be doing it on purpose. Yeah. Like there's a bunch of things and even early on where I'm like, that's not a phrase. That's not a thing people say, but it does sound exactly like something that they'd have said in Devil May Cry 1 on the PlayStation <laughs> 2. So I have to believe that that is in, somehow intentional. Yeah, and let's, let's just get this out, out, out of the way right out of the gate. Do not buy this game for the story. No, I think it, 
everybody knows. Yeah, I mean, that, if you've played any... Well, some people maybe have never played a Devil May Cry, and maybe, maybe they think, finally, they got a story in one that's yeah. good. I mean, no, it's I mean, not the, good. No, I mean, the cutscenes are a lot of fun, because yeah. they, the action stuff is crazy choreographed, and they're doing a lot of, you know, no, The fight things. choreography actually is really good. Like, yeah. that's... I love how they do the credits in this. Yeah. Where you... It's like this crazy slow motion, swirling dervish, where... The van, Nico's van, and Nico is the girl that builds all your gadgets for you, and you go to her van to upgrade all your gear and everything. But you're traveling down the road, and basically you hit a jump, and the van is like flying through the air doing a spiral while Nero is in the air yeah. fighting I think, creatures. Was, it's that, awesome. Was, was that in the E3 demo? Because that was the scene they showed. Maybe they skipped the credit part there. Yeah, so the credits they, are like embedded into yeah, the scene. But they're playing the uh, the, the song that everybody loves Devil so Trigger. much. Yeah. That then was on the, the, the Game Awards and everybody didn't like anymore. Because it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> But it works in that scene. It does. It absolutely like, does. Yeah. Like it's it's uh you know Devil May Cry earns its butt rock <laughs> in a way that very few games can. Yep, you're absolutely right. Um, so the story, the 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 cinematics are absurd and dumb, and they say things that they that make no sense, and they make observations about things that no human being would ever make an observation. I mean, it's just yeah. What even like early on when was what's who's it's the weir- who's the weird guy? Is it V? V. V. And Nero says something like, "You're a, you're a pretty interesting guy, V." But that doesn't but mean that doesn't, I believe you. But that or doesn't something. mean I don't believe. And like those two things don't contradict each other. There's no reason for a but in that. Like those yeah. thoughts don't connect at all in English. I'm yeah. sorry, but it's like that's exactly like when like in Devil May Cry one when the first boss like says something to Dante that I can't remember because the voice processing is so oh, thick right, that I don't right, understand right. what he's saying. And Dante like like knocks him on his head and goes and goes. Hope you got some some power in that big body. I'm like, no one would ever say that. No one. That's <laughs> this not game a, is just like that. And like, but they nail that tone somehow. Yeah, they're very in this good game. at it. I'll say that much. And like, there's a and and you know, it was just sort of weird and just sort of how video games were when Devil May Cry One came out. And right. now it's like now it's like a thing. Now games aren't like that anymore. And so the fact that this one does that so effectively kind of is charming. It, it is a little bit. It's like again, it makes it's nostalgic. It makes yeah. you feel like you're playing a game. That looks like it's made in 2019, but feels like it was made yeah. in like I mean, 2005. This is, this is also sort of what like always annoyed me about like Nintendo stuff and other things, where I'm like, don't reinvent the whole franchise. Just give me the game, but prettier and more. Yeah. And that is exactly what Devil May Cry 5 is. And, Pretty much. And so and good, like yeah. great, like that's all I want from this is. Don't don't reinvent it as an open world shooter or whatever. Just make Devil May Cry with modern technology. And I, I'm also surprised that's where we are. It's what they've done, yeah. and it's great. I'm also surprised that the inserting the bug into the vagina thing is through the whole game. <laughs> it wasn't just like this one little it's thing just, that you did in the demo. That's it's, just how hell does it's, locks. It's, it's I a guess. puzzle yeah. element. Yeah, like it's really freaking bizarre. And those of you who are wondering maybe what the backstory is for this game. Uh, it starts out, you're basically trying to rescue Dante, and so you and V, the guy with the cane and the, the dark hair, you're basically going into this labyrinth to take on this demon that Dante had gone to fight. You get there, Dante is basically dead, everybody that went in to fight the demon is dead. It turns out that the demon is actually the one that took Nero's arm, mm. and so you go in, you face this demon, you get your butt whooped, and... Basically, Dante saves your ass, mm-hmm. and so, but he's trapped in that other place, and so it's the initial 
thrust of the game is to go back and become powerful enough to go back and rescue Dante. Um, he, Dante is not playable at the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, he is. There's like a epilogue or whatever that you play as him for a little bit. But he's not a part like of the opening game. You have to go and rescue him be- before he becomes a playable character. And, and Just like also, four, really. Yeah, and then also the area in the demo where you where they've shown him being played, you don't have him yet when you play that in the demo. So mm. I'm assuming that they've already finished the game and they're going back and then playing as Dante when they're capturing that Yeah, footage. that seems like a pretty... It seems like a pretty safe bet you'll be able to play as Dante and uh, Virgil. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say that, I, that surprised me about this game, and maybe not in a good way, is it is pretty easy. I have it on... So when you start, there's two difficulty settings you can choose. I have it on the hardest one, which is the mm-hmm. default one. And I've just been, like, walking through the game. Yeah, well, there's gonna there's m- other difficulties, so... Well, yeah, you, you got to finish the game, later. though, to get to yeah. those. Yeah. I'm playing on the difficulty that everyone's going to play on, and I've always played DMC games on that difficulty. And this, to me, is one of the easier Devil May Cry games. Mm. Well, I, it seems like they're giving... They do give you, like, a chance to sort of figure out how things work and, and you know, get there. And in a way that... Because like, a lot, a lot some of the other... De- some of the other Devil May Crys, especially 3... Three just starts merciless. Throws you to the like, wolves, It's, just, it's yeah. like, okay, if you don't know how to do anything, good luck. You know? Yeah. And the tutorials um, are great in this, too, so if you haven't played prior Devil May Cry games, yeah. don't worry about it. Although uh, The plot doesn't matter, so you don't have to worry about that. if you haven't played prior ones, uh, the one thing to know is lock on, lock on, lock on, lock on. Yeah. Like, all the good moves requ- pretty much require lock on. You have to on, be locked, yeah. Up to and including the launcher. Like, yep. you know, you will have a much easier time if you learn to lock on effectively. And I know, like, especially in modern gaming... The temptation is just to run around without the lock on and whack at things, but like lock on is so important. It really, you is, don't yeah. even have a dodge in this game, unless uh, in there Devil May Cry, unless you are locked on. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Once you're locked on, yeah, you do have a roll. Yeah. And the other thing to remember is uh, because it's Devil May Cry, uh, your jump has invincibility frames at the beginning. Yep. So if you are you about to be hit out. by something, and if you jump. It'll miss you. Yep, you can jump out. And well, jump some away. people don't know. I didn't realize that people didn't know that about Devil May Cry until like this week. We're like, but that's been there, for, I think, since the beginning. Yeah, is like jump, like the you know, you have iframes at the very beginning of the jump. So that's your kind of desperation move. Yeah, and I used that already on the first boss. Like it was. And it worked. It was like it, you get away with things that you think shouldn't work, but you, you can do it. Now, some people may be sitting there right now saying, oh, well, Chain, you're saying that the game is easy, but you're only on the seventh mission. Or they're going to say, well, it's not about completing the game with Devil May Cry. It's about doing it with style, which mm-hmm. I would agree with a thousand percent. But getting at least an A in most skirmishes in this game is very easy. Uh, there's basically you have three combat buttons. You have your hack and slash button which is the triangle. You have your gun button, which is the square. And then you have your, your, your devil arm, which is the circle button. And basically, if you're in combat, you can just cycle through those buttons. You can go hack, gun, devil trigger. Hack, gun, devil trigger. And if you just keep doing that on all the enemies, you'll get at least an A in pretty much every Yeah, scrimmage. but isn't the A like a... In uh, this, it's for... It's like an, isn't that like a C in this? No. It, doesn't it go up to like triple S? No, A is, um, oh, I can't remember the word that they use for it. Crap. It goes up to S. So I got S on the first, my first level. The second one, I got an A. I thought, you, I thought they would go up to triple S in this game. I don't know. I got Maybe that's just, only post-game. I don't know. It, I mean, if you look, it says only S, and I've only got as high as an S. But the A is right under S. Yeah, but I think it, in, traditionally it's S, and then you have to get to SS and SSS. Right. 
Like the, like Those are all above A. Yeah. Yeah. But so a, getting an A is more like getting a C. No, there's C in, the in this game. Yeah, but like I mean, it's in the middle. Oh, oh. I don't think you can get like more than a single S. You can definitely get triple S in this game. Like the first time through a mission? I don't know. But I've seen like already seen YouTube videos where like they're like triple S. Well, I know past Devil May Cry games, absolutely you could. But I don't know if you I in the past ones could you get your first run? I don't know. I thought you could only get S on your first run, and you had to go back and play it again to get higher ones. Anyway, it's easy to get an A. An A is a is not mediocre because you can tell by the way the game treats you when you get an A. It's like it's a celebration. It's not like oh you you suck at the game or whatever. Um, and I didn't usually get A's in prior Devil May Cry games either, to be honest with you. Usually I just finished with a C and was like, that's good enough. And I just wanted to get through the game. So in general, I found this game to be much easier than prior Devil May Cry games. At least for me personally, it's, it's been a It's not a terrible thing. It's though. not. Not at all. I mean, it, there's after you finish it, there are higher difficulties for people who really want to test their mettle. So um, don't be scared of this game. I know you, a lot of people may have picked up Devil May Cry's in the past. They're, some of them are hard. Devil May Cry 4 was pretty hard at points. Yeah. If, and if this is too easy for you, well, Sekiro's right around the corner. So. Yeah. So Which, by the on. way, no, no... No review copies. Yeah. Yeah. Questionable. Which is weird because I reached out to Activision <clears throat> two days ago and was like, hey, I'm looking for Sekiro review code. And they're like, what platform do you want? And I was like, I told them. And they're like, okay. Hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe they're just going to send me the code after it launches? I think that sounds like what they're doing. Yeah, which is weird. Sounds like an Activision, just Activision being Activision. Although I have heard that there's some performance problems on console. Oh, really? But I don't know if that's true. Yeah, the previews for that recently have been pretty encouraging. Yeah, they had too, a big so. blowout preview thing. Yep. I'm surprised they, they, they're not, they're holding back review copies considering how positive that all was. I'm not 100% sure that that's true yet. We'll see. I mean, I asked for a review code and they're like, we're sending it to you. So it would be nice if uh, we could get it a little earlier so we can talk about it with you guys before you guys decide to plunk down your money for it. So uh, let's see what else. What other notes do I have about Devil May Cry? Um, the combat's great. I mean, it's easier to get like higher ranks for each skirmish, but it just feels fun. Um, the flow of it feels great. Uh, I feel like it's, it is a little maybe too similar to at least the last two games, particularly the last one. Um, what, DMC? No, not DMC. Four. Devil May Cry yeah, 4. I don't count four. DMC as like a part of the franchise proper. Well, it's, uh, canonically, it's not. I mean, it's, right. it's still D Devil May Cry, but like it's not in continuity or anything. Yeah. Um, but it's very different from that because D DMC did not use lock-on right. very much. So yeah. like, it's like you could play that game without using the lock-on hardly at all. Trish. Um, yeah. Devil May Cry 4 was hard. There were some yeah. parts I had to fight some of those battles like almost 10 times to get through them. Yeah. And I've, fa I've faced nothing like that in this so far. Like, even the boss that was in the demo that I could not beat in the demo, and mostly because if you died, you had to start the whole thing all over again, and I just didn't want to do it. In this one, I beat him first try in the, the final retail game. Also, <clears throat> they have an interesting way in how they handle death. So, you die. But once you die, you have a choice of what you want to do. So you can spend red orbs to revive yourself, or you can use what's a, called a gold gem to revive yourself. So when you go to Nico's van, there's stuff that you can buy, and then you can upgrade stuff, and, and she'll give you stuff too. Like she'll give you new devil triggers that you can attach to your arm because you bring her back stuff, and then she uses that stuff to build the new devil triggers. But you can also go in there and just buy stuff. And one of the things that you can buy is you can buy the gold gem, which is an extra life, which I think is for like a thousand gold or something like that. 
and then you can buy health extensions with the red orbs. Hmm. So you can increase your maximum health with the red orbs, or you can just buy an extra life, essentially. And so when you die, you're presented with the option. You can say, do you want to use a gold gem for an extra life, or do you want to buy your way out of it? So the first time you buy your way out of it in-game with red orbs, it's like 750 red orbs. The next time, it's like 1,500, and it just keeps hmm. doubling. Um, so I, I think that's a pretty interesting risk-reward system. It's uh, an interesting way to deal with death. But if you don't want to do that, what do you do? You basically you start, start all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's uh, <clears throat> you make some hard decisions at times. <laughs> is there a microtransaction system in that? There is, yeah. Like the gold gems you can buy yep. with real money? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. It's a single-player game, so it doesn't bother me that much. It's like only in competitive games does paid-to-win really bother me. If, if someone's just doing it on their own, if, like, I suck and I can't beat this, I want to spend five bucks to beat it, I don't care. Yeah, I just, I remember when those were cheat codes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> when it was free. <laughs> when, you, when your cheat code didn't require your wallet unless you wanted to buy the strategy guide. Touche. Yeah. Touche. Um, so, I look, I'm loving Devil May Cry 5 so far. Um, I think I may do a stream of it tomorrow. Um, if you guys want to check it out further beyond what we've talked about today and what we've shown you as far as B-roll in the show... Um, It'll be, I think it'll be a fun game to stream because it's challenging enough that you'll get some, some gusto from streamers who have to, have to apply themselves to get through certain sections, but it's not so tough that you're going to have to sit and watch the person play the same section of the game mm-hmm. like 20 times over. Uh, so I think this would be a good game to watch people stream. And uh, I think tomorrow afternoon, depending on what's going on, I have a relative in town right now, depending on what's going on with that, um, I'm going to try to stream some of this tomorrow. But I, I highly recommend it. Obviously, if you like story and game, if you have the story cranked up really high in your gaming Val ratings, I would steer clear of this. Um, if you love Unless game- this is the kind of thing you like. Right. I mean, Unless you like that kind of goofy, yeah. funny, Japanese, Japanglish type thing. Mm-hmm. That's got this in spades. So yeah. For me, I mean, I don't dislike it completely, but it helps that like the gameplay is so good, top-notch that... Yeah. like. I don't need a story to pull me through it. If know? the gameplay in this game were bad, I would absolutely not play this game. Like, well, then, I would then not it, survive on the well, cinematics Well, alone. then it would be called Shadows of the Damned. <laughs> Touche. Yes, it would. Taste his big boner, everybody. <laughs> all right. So that's it. It's time for our trailer of the week. Uh, for those of you who are on the stream all the time, you know this is a time to get some questions in the chat. Also, I have... <clears throat> some questions from sifted.net again if you're not here for the early part of the show uh, we started a thread in the sifted forums where you can go and ask questions for game face most of you like 99 percent of the people who watch game face do not watch the stream although we love you guys who do thank you very much for being a part of the show it's great but we wanted to have an outlet for people who cannot be on the live stream to ask us some questions so we we put a thread in the forum so those of you who are watching this archive and you're like, man, I never get to ask questions on Game Face. Now you can. But anyway, time for our trailer of the week. It was a huge week of trailers, but one game that's really caught my eye lately is Mortal Kombat 11. And I'm still in that honeymoon phase where anything they give me about that game, I just lap it on up. And uh, they released a story trailer this week. Let's roll it. I am Kronika, Keeper of Time. I guide the destiny of the realms. My work's perfection has been tainted by Raiden's actions. I enlist all those who disdain the current course of history. By merging past and present, we may draw upon allies from both eras. 
I offer a greater empire in the new era. Will your outworld armies defend it? They shall. Kotal Khan, we have common cause. Solving this temporal crisis, and in defeating Shao Kahn. I will have my scouts track Shao Kahn. Can't someone, anyone, explain to me what the hell is going on, right? I've been in the future for a whole hour and I haven't seen one jetpack. Not one. Came from rock bottom with nothing that I saw with wings. I am not stopping, I'm coming in this more to see. Ignore the dream, now they gotta applaud the king. It's my ego trip. I'm hoping you enjoy the scene. I'm a monster, yeah, you should be avoiding me. I'm a wrestler without a council one Elder Gods, the realms are in crisis. Every being will be erased in a temporal Armageddon. Find Kronika's key and gain control of her hourglass. Only then will time's momentum be restored. We've got to take out another realm's army now, before Liu Kang can bring it here. As my strength gathers, the new era draws ever closer. So Matt, once Mortal Kombat 11 comes out, we're gonna have to do a dumb off on game phase where we, we decide which has the dumber story, Mortal Kombat 11 or Devil May Cry 5. And you were worried about what story they had left to tell in that game. <laughs> Come on. Uh, okay, before we get into the questions in chat, I wanna get to the ones uh, from the site. You guys have already, uh, you've already posted some good questions. You also have made some funny statements in there. Here's one from uh, Press Start Rick. Can you ask Matt what the release date is for for fuck fuck fuckity? And can he also release it on the Epic Games Store? Hmm. <laughs> I hope it's a shooter. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a Q2 2024 <laughs> release. Switch only. Uh, no, be perfect for the Switch. <laughs> it would Switch port now, uh, um, but on the Switch it will cost uh, ten dollars more. But it will have an extra. <laughs> but it will have it, it will. it will have an extra fuck in the title. Okay. No, it'll say, fuck, fuck, fuckity deluxe. <laughs> De fuck, fuck, fuckity defucks. <laughs> defucks edition. That'll be what it is. All right. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the people who waited. Reggie's glad he retired now. <laughs> We're taking over. I want to thank the people who waited uh, till the end of the show to subscribe via Twitch Prime. Uh, so Jay Reed Vic and Justin Horman, thank you very, very much for doing that. Uh, in future episodes, if you guys can all wait at the end, we can be sure to recognize you guys. Uh, I do realize that some of you guys cannot sit here for the whole three hours and watch the show, so I totally get that. But uh, anyway, let's get to the questions from the site first, and then we'll get to the stuff in chat. Uh, let's see. The first one from uh, someone, one of my favorite usernames on the site, from Scampi. Hmm. Um, IGN has announced that all of its gaming shows, like GameScoop, Unlocked, and Beyond, are going audio only. Why do you think this is? Is it purely to save money? 
Uh, solo YouTubers manage to put quality videos out, so why can't IGN? Uh, your production insight would be greatly or would be deeply appreciated. I've First of all, holy crap, I did not know this until <clears throat> he asked a question. Um, and I had to did ask him. Did they just announce this or something? I, you know what? I followed up with him on the question on the site. And by the time I had to leave, he had not replied back. So I was asking him, I'm like, where did you hear this? I hadn't heard this at all. Mm. Um, so I don't know. Skimpy, I don't think, usually is in, on the stream, which is why he asked this somewhere else. But maybe one of you guys saw it somewhere and you got a link or whatever. Um, so we don't know 100% if this is true, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, this I is, don't this know. Isn't, that. That's news to me. Yeah. Um, but if it is happening, it probably would be to save money because uh, it would it means you don't have to pay someone to be there to be doing audio and you know camera and lighting and all that stuff and editing and so, you know to pay a video editor to put the whole thing together and whereas with uh, audio you know basically you just need one of the people you don't doing need doing the podcast to know how to hit record on the mic and. That's that. Maybe you have someone edit it together later, but like most people are competent enough to do that, so you could maybe just make it the job I mean, of editing like, audio is so easy. You could just make it the job of whoever is you know the assigned producer it, the, the producer on the podcast, yeah. and you know you're down to a one man operation as opposed to what was probably a four or five man crew. Probably more than that, because here's the thing about the way IGN was doing its shows, it was still using it was using a TriCaster. Mm -hmm. It it had three cameras just like we have, and it cut through all the cameras as they discussed stuff. But they never ran gameplay footage, ever. Mm. Like, it was just always the talking heads. But here's the thing. So in today's influencer culture, I get that. You want your personalities to be on screen as much as possible. You want fans to resonate with them. You want them to go follow them on Twitter. That way, when they're promoting stuff for IGN, it's, bringing them, it's all a big cycle. But that's what also what doesn't make sense, of, if this is true, about this is... is you're taking their faces off of the screen. Mm -hmm. And it's just, if it's just audio, I don't know. I, I think in today's influencer culture, where you're trying to build people as brands, and not just, not just you or I, if we were on our own, trying to get a bunch of followers so we can build our brand, IGN's trying to have these people build a brand that they can then parlay into mm -hmm. more people coming to IGN. Because, you know, game news and game inf stuff like that is, is uh, it is, Ubiquitous. You can get it anywhere. Right. So the only reason to go to a particular outlet is because you the like people. the personalities. Right. Though. The people. Um, it is weird to me if they were if they're going to eliminate all the video. Like if you weren't going to keep like one flagship show that still gets to have the host faces out right. there in the world. Um, I don't know. Like it sounds really it's, weird. It sounds like you know some kind of cost saving method. Maybe like a way to like sort of free up more of the editors up because a lot of that's up in San Francisco. I think it'll free up the editor's time to do something else, which maybe means that they're going to condense the staff a little further, which means people got to stretch their people got to stretch their time per day more, other than like spend we you know you don't have the luxury to spend that amount of time producing these things. Um, certainly happened to us a few times when you know when the when the staff shrank here yep. and there. Uh, we didn't have the option to go audio only because we we're on television, but like. Um, you know, we we uh, we shot video for the podcast we did for G4 Feedback, and that was like that was three people doing you know, three yep. people who were completely uninvolved in the podcast that had to spend, you know, an hour and that, shooting and plus the setup and teardown time. Yep. You know, shooting that and putting it together and editing it, and that's not even including edit time. Like that's very expensive. It, it you know that's time consuming and expensive. Like that's not a a minor thing. And you know, you, sure you do it all by yourself, but like that's you know, what I was getting at is that. IGN is too bloated. If they're really using 
four or five, and I, I agree with you, that's probably what they're using. There's probably four or five people working on every one of those. So mm -hmm. you have someone as the TD for the TriCaster, like Sam. But instead of just having the camera set up, they have like people at each camera. Yeah. For no reason. You don't really need them there. It's just in case something bad goes wrong. You don't, you don't wrong. need a dynamic zoom yeah. in, when you're, you know, just right. having talking heads hanging. And around. if you have a good TriCaster TD, like we, like we do with Sam, you don't have to, you don't need an editor. No. When the show's done, it's done. And if you do a great pre-production, you have all your clips loaded up and they're edited well and they have dissolves yeah. in and out. It's done. The show's finished. That's why I paid all this money for a TriCaster because I knew it would save me so much money in the long run. Yeah, live and it has. It's helpful if you're good enough to pull it off. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, you don't have to be that good. That's the thing. It's like with the, the devices that they have now, it's like it makes it easy. We could have a monkey over there. No. Who needs what Sam's doing? Yeah. <laughs> no, my point is he's doing it by himself. Right. He's one guy. Like, you. There's, He's doing what, what, what took a booth of seven people when we were on television. Right. Here's, what's, here's what I think is happening at IGN. This is, oh, I don't know. I haven't talked to anyone. I think that they're struggling to get where we are, kind of funny is, easy allies is, where you're just bare bones. Yeah. And maybe you sacrifice a little bit of that extra sparkle on your production, but the amount of money that you save doing that is way worth it. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering. Well, the, the other weird, the other thing is like, um, you know, I'm sure they have the metrics on it, and it's entirely possible that people just don't watch it. It's possible. Listen, just listen to it. I mean, yeah, that is entirely possible. I mean, their shows do pretty well on Sifted, as far if you look at like all the podcasts that we put up. I would say their yeah. stuff is probably in the top. Like, yeah, but even when I I don't watch stuff like that very often, in yeah. part because. Um, well, they don't. They don't run B-roll. They don't, but also because like. Um, a lot of the, a lot of people that you know in in the uh, do that like if I want to know what they think about something I'll just text them you right know? yeah but like yeah I won't I'm not gonna sit through an hour long podcast to hear what you think about Devil May Cry Five I'm gonna it's just like, ask you, you right know? yeah but uh, not everybody can do that obviously but like when I do load one of those things up like I maybe look at it twice yeah at the beginning I look just at let it, it play in the background. just let it play and then I go do I switch to another tab or I play a game or I'm, you know the idea I you know. It because, is it because, is a fair criticism that a lot of the people that I li that I've listened to on those shows, if I ran into them at a party, I would not necessarily recognize them yeah. because I just don't look at their face that much. But I also think that the reason why you've learned to tune yourself out from that content is because you know there's nothing else but them just sitting there talking. Yeah. Well, so when you see it for the first couple minutes, you see okay, he's wearing a Metroid shirt and this girl's wearing a Mario shirt, and you get the lay of the land. There's not much else to see after that. Right. So you've, you know that. You've conditioned yourself to be like, okay, when I watch an IGN show, I watch the beginning so I can see everybody. I can see who's on the show. I can check out what they're wearing and what they're doing that day. And then after that, I'm just good listening to the audio. Mm -hmm. the, IGN's not incentivizing people to stick around and consume the video. I think it's, and again, this is all my opinion. This is just me from my experience saying what I think is happening over there. And it could just all be bollocks anyway. It may not yeah. even be true. So although, I hope this story is true. Although you we're do, not wasting our time discussing it. You do bring up the point that like you can do all this with yourself and one TriCaster operator. So the idea that you have to, if you have the equipment, the idea that you have to get rid of the video part just because you got rid of some people. Doesn't not really Not really true. It doesn't. But again, I think... IGN is still... Unless you got some kind of union problem you're yeah. dealing with. I, I, mean, don't, look, I don't think IGN is unionized just yet. IGN is the, it's the biggest budget publication on the planet. It has not had to face what a lot of us have had to face, which is 
I can't afford to pay a guy $2,000 to cut a piece of video. I can't pay three camera guys to stand around and just watch the camera like we used to at GT. Like literally, when we recorded stuff at GT, we'd have camera, there'd be a guy standing there. Like Rich Brown would stand there just in case something happened. Like at a certain point you get over that and you sacrifice a little bit of the production values for the greater good, which is money that you can then use to spend on other things instead of people who just stand around staring at the viewfinder on the camera for three hours. So th things are changing. The gear has helped a ton. Um, people have helped a ton. Like everyone's a predator now. Everyone knows how to shoot with a camera. Everyone knows how to edit now. Everyone knows how to record voiceover now. A lot of people like Sam can do all that stuff plus be a TriCaster TD. It's just, everything's changing and evolving and i you know when you're in a big organization like that sometimes you get stuck in patterns and ruts and when you're dealing with like a big budget every year and you're afraid to make changes because they may take some of the budget there's all this stuff that goes into it that could be why ign is doing this if it is in fact doing it and we should probably move on in case that that is not what's happening well they see the all. chat vincent and people in the chat seem to say they, they said it on the podcast this oh week. they did so it sounds okay. like it is happening uh, here's one from Bezelbub. Do you think Sony will respond directly to Xbox Game Pass, offering full downloads of subscription games emulated with their next hardware? No. I think they're just going to keep rolling with PlayStation Now and yeah. hope that's enough. It, Sony put too much money into PlayStation Now yeah. uh, to not see it through and make sure that it ultimately is <clears throat> a success. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, which it completely overpaid, if you ask me, but I think it probably could have built its own thing itself for less than that. But... Um, yeah, I don't see it doing, well, I don't want to say never, because I think eventually everyone's probably going to have something like an Xbox Game Pass. Do I think it's going to come at the beginning or the launch of the PlayStation 5? No, I don't. I think PlayStation Now will be pushed hard at the launch of the PlayStation 5, and I think PlayStation's version of Game Pass maybe comes two years into the PlayStation 5 life cycle. I think a lot of it depends on how it does for Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I think Sony's going to sit back and let Microsoft learn the lesson and if it appears that Microsoft is making a ton of money off of it, then I think Sony will acquiesce and decide to do one on its own. Do you have any take on that? Not really. I don't. I don't intend to use that service for anytime soon. So. Okay. Uh, I think PlayStation Now does let you download some stuff. I think it does. Yeah, now um, it does. PlayStation Four. I mean, anything that doesn't run natively on the PS4, you have to stream. Yeah. Like the older games. Right. But I think modern stuff you can just download it. You should be able to. Uh, here's the last one from the website from Ian McGar. Um, are reviews useless now? What's your opinion on fanboys reviewing games for big sites? Uh, games like Kingdom Hearts and DMC5 are getting praised for, uh, for being true to the originals, yet Crackdown 3 is getting, slayed, uh, getting slammed for the same reason. It's a good point. Easy Allies gave Kingdom Hearts and DMC big scores and still said they're like great PS2 games. Crackdown 3 plays like an Xbox 360 game, and apparently that's a bad thing. I would argue that Crackdown and Devil May Cry are not on the same <laughs> level in terms of what you're talking about in terms of the throwback. Element. I would also argue Kingdom Hearts 3 is not on the same yes. level as, uh, as Crackdown 3 when you're talking about that. So you're, you're definitely comparing apples and oranges here, bro. Uh, I hear what you're saying. You're right. It does seem mm -hmm. like some franchises get away with... Like, I brought this up with Breath of the Wild. Like... All along, I said this about Breath of the Wild. If it didn't have the Zelda name, it would be, 
it would probably still be a good game, but it wouldn't be like greatest game ever. It would just be a pretty good open world action adventure or action RPG, yeah. depending on your perspective on that game. So um, I hear what you're saying. I think the instances that you brought up here aren't particularly yeah, bad. It's just the, the, it's like, Devil May Cry 5 is like, like getting to hold a favorite pet again that's been gone for a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to and put it. And Crackdown 3 is like someone dug it up and threw it at me. <laughs> no, Crackdown 3 is them digging up the dead dog. Yeah, that's what I mean. putting it on your porch. <laughs> yeah. You like that, right? <laughs> you said you, you liked you, it. You missed him. <laughs> so we, we got him. <laughs> Just like, yeah. That would, that, would be, that would be my horrifying analogy. <laughs> That is freaking great. In other in other contexts, that's called the monkey's paw story. Uh, uh, Vincent saying that the podcast made it seem like studio time was the main cost. That's impossible. They own their studio. Yeah, I don't know how. Unless that would... IGN just wants to shoot other stuff in the studio, which is possible. That's possible. Yeah. I mean, it could be that there are other shows for like movies and TV. And yeah, stuff I don't know like a whole lot about better, especially because uh, I don't know where those are. Sh- if those are, mo- I assume they're mostly San Francisco. Um, which I would think they just have a place in their office for that. But if they want to try to branch out into something different, if they got it, that could be part of it. Is they want to, you know, they do have a video unit that's you know based in L.A. But like that's you know the whole separate kind of wing that sort of is trying to deal they're just with basically the wiring stuff. footage and cutting it in L.A. Though yeah, they're but, still recording all the shows in yeah, San but like they're, a lot of the production and a lot of the, that stuff is done there, done here uh, by or by people who are based in L.A. Um, it could be that they're trying to like move in a new direction with that or expand somehow, uh, and that's just not the best use of their studio time anymore. It might not be a cost issue. Yeah. Or it could just be what they were told to tell us, and we don't know anything about <laughs> what's actually happening because that also happens with companies as big as that. It's entirely possible. Uh, all right, let's get to some questions from the chat here. The folks who decided to show up with us on a Friday night, I hope you guys are having a good Friday night. Uh, we have to answer W. Matthews' question as always. Uh, for once, not a game question. What do you think of Critical Role's Kickstarter? They have raised, link deleted, for an animated special being done by a TV animation studio. Um, well, I thought they made like something like eight million on it, right? They've now. made eight million. Something like, it was some wow. absurd number in the millions. I'll look it up because I'm sure that was the link that he got deleted. Um, That's just mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Um, to just come up with an idea and just have people throw $8 million at people you. People love the critical role, man. Apparently. 6.6 million. Holy crap. Pledged of 750000 So they were not asking for that much money to begin with. Holy uh, crap. Do not underestimate how popular critical, critical role is. I, know, I don't even um, watch it or consume it at all. Uh, I don't watch it all that much, but I, I watch it once in a while. Uh, but I mean, but like the hardcore fandom on that is like apparently you wouldn't believe. Holy crap! Um, I think that's amazing. That's incredible. Like, Critical Role is one of the best examples of sort of that parasocial relationship that develops with like kind of internet celebrity and kind of the constant interaction they have, uh, especially because they're performing an action that a lot of people play themselves. The, the you know the D and D thing, uh, pen and paper role playing. Uh, but they're also very talented, you know, because they're all voice actors. They're talented at being able to sort of play these characters themselves and also sort of, you know, make the story run and it's become bigger and bigger and bigger. And um, they do a great job with it. Um, it's a little surprising to me that they couldn't have gotten, they couldn't have found a way to pitch this to a real studio, a real studio that would have then fronted the money to right. do something like this. Yeah, so the fans didn't have um, to pay for it. But uh, clearly the fans were happy to do so. Holy so. crap, man. I mean, are they on Patreon? 
yeah. They what is their account? It must be like a million dollars a month. It's crazy. I don't know if they are. Uh, I don't know, because their the critical role is uh, Geek and Sundry, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Patreon has a... Uh, Geek and Sundry has a Patreon. I don't think I don't think uh, Critical Role has a separate one. All right, let's get to some questions in the chat here. Um, some people are saying maybe Sekiro is short, and that's why they don't want people reviewing it early. It's possible. Um, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect that game to be like thirty hours or anything. Yeah, they can't all be Ninja Gaiden one. Uh, that game is really long for what it, it is. is. It's like thirty hours yeah. for a single player hack and slash. Uh, is there a happy medium between the Rockstar approach of complete secrecy and, tran- and uh, where game devs aren't handcuffed in public opinion to decisions that inevitably change during development? Would a game like Anthem be less divisive if people didn't have that reveal walkthrough for people to compare it to? So basically, the question he's asking is, is increased access hurting games? It's I, kind of what I said last week about mm-hmm. like now people are playing games before they come out that weren't playing them in the past, and maybe they're not... I, to it well. I think it. I think it's a very fine line to walk. Um, I don't think that you know this was captured on a real time thing. Little trailer that Anthem has helps it at all at this point. Yeah. But I also think the the big backlash against Anthem has it's it's as much of of a time and place as it is Anthem itself. I think it's yeah. It's just Anthem sort of has ended up for for whatever reason. Uh, you want to pick. There's a bunch of them. Uh, but the Anthem has sort of ended up becoming an emblem of this kind of game, this kind of service, this kind of release, this kind of, you know, rushed to market thing. And it's just, I think people are just using it as a, almost as like a totem of everything they don't like about this type of game. Yeah. And it's just sort of catching that heat. Yeah. Not just because of its own flaws, but because of everything people have had to put Hated up with. about ga- the genre. Thing, everything people have to put up with of that, you know, subgenre for however many years, and they're just tired of seeing it happen over and over again, and Anthem was just sort of the breaking point. As, I think they also maybe put their faith in Bioware that they would be the ones that, to that, break That certainly the hurts it, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's definitely... The fact that it's made by a, a company that is sort of a someone we could trust until recently i guess would be you know it's it's the core team uh yeah it's it's a perfect storm of bad luck and poor decision making that has just finally broke come to a head you know it's yep. it's just ironically enough considering the <laughs> the heart of rage has has right. has occurred yeah. and it it was anthem <laughs> like well I, I don't know it may it could be worse in the future who knows well it, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Division 2 launches. Yeah. And if they can... Get I mean, I played the beta. The Division 2, pretty unlocked. If they, yeah, if they can get that smooth and make, the, and make it something that people can point to in comparison to Anthem and say, like, why isn't this like this? And I like, have a feeling it might be. I think be. it probably will be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had... But Ubisoft's already been through it, you know? It's, it yeah. already took its... Ubisoft its, knew, knows what they're doing. I mean, it's Division slumps, 2. Yeah. I mean, Division 1 didn't launch perfect either. Yeah. Didn't launch like Anthem, but it didn't launch perfect. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've, you know, and they also learned, like the from from what they're. You know, I already have people who will pl- I know who play the beta. I didn't play the beta. I have people, friends I know who played the beta, who were skeptical about it or like play. Were kind of sick of the division, but they played it just to give it a shot. And like one guy was like, I headshotted and killed a boss. 
Like they are not bullet sponges anymore. Yeah. Like it, and like they and they t- turn them around. I have had enough of Tom Clancy's Tom Clancy presents <laughs> Tom Clancy for one lifetime probably. But like you know, like it feels like the Division Two. They did. They are trying to move it forward and learn from their mistakes. Yeah. And Anthem feels like it didn't learn from anyone's mistakes. Anyone's mistakes. And made a f- several new ones. So. Yep. I I I think you're just looking at a perfect storm of about three different angles that is. You know, and part of it is that sort of, you know, that, that expectation setup thing. Uh, Rockstar does benefit from not doing that, but at the same time, you could argue that Rockstar can get away with not doing that because people just flock to them no matter what. Yeah. Like, Rockstar being the 800-pound gorilla also means they don't have to be transparent about it. Rockstar also takes eight years to make his games. Yeah. It's like comparing anything to Rockstar, I just don't think it's particularly fair. But Rockstar is a bit of a unicorn. Yeah. Yes. Uh, here's one from Justin Horman. How cheap does the discless Xbox One need to be to make sense? Would it need to be cheaper than $200 because the Xbox One S has already been that low? Um, yeah, so he's talking about... So let's clarify. We spoke last week on the show about... Or maybe it's the week before, about how the next Xbox is going to have two versions. There's going to be a hardcore version that has a a typical console. There's going to be another version that's going to be basically a streaming console. But what's been what's developed over the last week is that there's going to be an update to the existing Xbox One mm-hmm. that does not have a disk drive at all, and that's coming out like this year sometime, like mm-hmm. middle of the year. So I, he's asking about that, about the Xbox One discless console that's coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you think the pricing is right for that? My guess is the pricing is going to be the same as the S, uh, but the hard drive in it is just going to be a lot bigger. Yeah. I don't think they'll go below 200. No. Um, because in all honesty, a disk drive, it, it's not worth that much money. I know people may think about it, oh, then it should be $50 cheaper. When you buy drives in bulk, they cost like $2 or whatever. It's, it's them taking the drive out of the hardware is not cheapening their production cost all that much. So I would say best case scenario, 175. Yeah, I would. I would more think, likely two hundred. They'll increase. They yeah. have to increase the size of the hard drive. Yeah, because you have no other. So, I mean, the, the irony there is that you have no, no other storage option with the disc one either. Right. Because they install the whole game to the disc. It's oh, the same. Right. It's the yeah. same hard drive usage either way. Yeah. But the perception would be that you'd get more value by having a larger hard drive after taking the disc out, and it's and hard drives are cheap too, so it would be about the same cost trade off for them. Yeah. That would be my guess because I also think that's how they'll price the next the next system too because you don't want to tempt people into one or the other because one's cheaper. Yeah, you Nintendo wanna... did that with the Wii U. Yeah, but you want... they had that eight gig version and then the thirty gig version. Yeah, that worked out well. Mm. What all ended up happening was the cheap version was everywhere. sat on sh- shelves until it rotted basically. Yep. Yeah, and probably got sent back to Nintendo. Where I give you three guesses where all those refurbished uh, game pads came from. Right. That's exactly where they came from. They were never refurbished. They were never sold in the first place. They were just taken out of the box. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, From Vincent, if Labo VR does really well, is it a good thing or bad thing for VR as a whole? I don't know. I would think anything that gets VR into the hands of more people is probably a good thing. But then there's the whole thing of if it's such a bad experience, it could turn people off to VR as a whole. True, but that would be out of character for Nintendo in my opinion. If it if it didn't work pretty well, I don't think Nintendo would put it out. Well, there was the Virtual Boy. <laughs> yes, and they learned from that. Uh, I'm not. I mean, look, it's not like anything, any great shakes, but it's like Google Cardboard wasn't all that different. I will it. say this: the, with the the number of young people and parents that play Nintendo platforms, 
you're getting kids at six, seven, yeah. eight. I mean, it really could. If they get sick, like I get sick on VR, it could turn them off for life. Yeah, but or it could, you know, if they don't get sick, it could be like, oh, this is great. I wanna, I wanna, you know, it could be a gateway drug, or it yeah. could be the end of the road before it even <laughs> begins. Yeah, but it's like no it's matter not, what, it can affect it on a whole, though. VR on the whole, it could. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's more likely to affect it positively. Uh, because just else. trying VR. Just try it out, see how it is. This is cool. Maybe we should, you know, step it up again. But like, you know, the, the fact that it's cheap and you don't really lose a huge investment from it is is probably, you know, you, okay. You pay twenty bucks and little little Susie gets violently ill when she tries to play, you know, VR Mario Kart. Oh well, you yeah. know, like, that we wasted that afternoon. But now you know not to. You yeah, know, like, it's gonna uh, happen too. Because I, I have a feeling that that VR is gonna be awful. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what it. I assume, How does it even work? Well, it's just like Google Cardboard. You put the, th the thing in the. It's a two-piece thing with the lenses, and you put the thing in it, and they're gonna divide the screen, and you look at it. It's like a ViewMaster. So you're gonna still gonna have depth perception with it, though, oh, yeah. without two. I mean, as long as the game being is, rendered twice. As long as the game is designed for. It. I mean, you're uh, probably only gonna be able to use it with whatever software comes with it. Right. Like I'm, I'm joking about the Mario Kart thing. I don't think that's going to be a thing. It's, it's going to be like the the Labo stuff, where everything's sort of a self-contained game you play. Labo, by the way. $20 for two pieces of cardboard. And the lenses. That, it's not... Oh, know, there's lenses It's in like there? a lens thing. Yeah, oh, it's like a that. plastic lens piece. Oh, okay. Still. It's still pretty steep. All right, we'll answer one or two more. Uh, Derek D111, how would you guys rate or rank the online video game marketplaces? Xbox Live, PSN, Steam, iOS, Nintendo, online. Rank them? Yeah. I don't know. Let's start with the worst first. Um, worse in what sense like like ui or like just rank them i don't know however you whatever you want whatever parameters I, you want i'm gonna go i don't really have a preference i'll uh, go eShop. worst worst then i think he has them in order i think he's got them right in perfect order reversed worst is eShop. next is ios Next is Steam, next is PSN, and Xbox Live is the best. Hmm. Now, maybe I'd bump Steam above PSN. I don't know. Maybe. But otherwise, I think you, the list you have there is pretty yeah, accurate. Yeah, I don't... Just, I would just say my, I'm ranking them based upon overall customer satisfaction. Uh, I, it would never occur to me to care. Really. <laughs> they're, they're I don't all... know. You, you complained about the eShop earlier about how you couldn't find anything. Yeah, well, because it's all just choked with garbage, but like so Steam. I mean... I think they're all kind of mediocre in terms of navigation and UI, and uh, most of them move too slowly. And I'll agree with that. Frankly, I'd rather just I just go in and I find the thing and I buy it and I leave. Like, I don't. I'm, it's like Walmart. I don't, I don't want to be there any longer than I have to, but it sure takes a while to get where I need to get to, because it's big and slow. <laughs> um, I think that might be it. A lot there, of people there isn't, there isn't like a digital storefront where I think of where I'm like, I enjoy browsing that. Like there isn't anything like that. I think they're all kind of terrible in their own way. Oh, I'm guessing a couple people want to hear your impressions of uh, Captain Marvel. Oh, um, I, I liked it a lot. Um, I, uh, I have been a Captain, uh, not Captain Marvel, I've been a Ms. Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers fan since I was about three or four. Because uh, my first comic books were my cousin gave me a big stack of old comics he, from the 70s he didn't want anymore. 
and a bunch of them were uh, some of them were old Ms. Marvel, some of them were um, Marvel Team Up that she was in a couple of those. So Marvel te- that Marvel Team Up Marvel Team Up was a um, a seventies uh, series Marvel series that was Spider Man. Every issue was Spider Man teamed up with a different character, mm-hmm. and um, I was introduced early on to some of the weirdest, most esoteric Marvel characters because of that. So I was, when I was a kid, I was like, the characters I knew is like these characters from the Marvel team. I knew Mockingbird and uh, Dr. Demonicus and <laughs> Batrock the Leaper, who showed up in the Winter Soldier, which I could not believe. That That's he, crazy. He's the, he's the guy who does all the fighting with him on the, on the, the, the ship at the very oh, beginning. Oh, wow. The, the French guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a French master of Savate who wears a big purple and yellow costume in the old comics and like if you look at the movie he's got like purple and yellow on his wow. suit and i was like i cannot believe that rock the <laughs> fucking leaper was just in a film That's i saw great. um brother voodoo like a bunch of weird stuff like that and ms marvel was one of the team-ups in that and i thought she was really cool and i like carol because she's like an, she's like an air force pilot and like she ended up ended up with cosmic powers and all that so i've been kind of waiting for a move um, um carol danvers movie for like 40 years and I was worried because I didn't in the trailers. I didn't feel like Brie Larson really quite captured. I would agree I with thought. that. Like she, she seemed a little sleepwalky. Yeah. Uh, in the in the final movie, it's much better. Um, she gets a little more personality to, to show. Like the tra- you know, never trust the trailers on things yeah. to, to show you what th- something's about. Uh, she is a little like because she doesn't have her memories throughout the movie, and she's sort of discovering who she is. She's a little. Um, blank in, in places, literally uh, and figuratively. But there's but there's stuff like you know, like early on, um, there's a fight with a bunch of scrolls, and the scroll does the does the monster you know alien monster thing where he goes rah, like, and she goes rah, <laughs> like it <laughs> hits him out of the thing, which like she kind of won me over with that. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene where she's like j- you know trading jabs back and forth with Fury, um, and like really felt like Carol Danvers. Like, she really yeah. felt like the character, and then she kind of goes back to more of the muted version as like kind of the, the, the sh- movie continue. But there's a quick moment there. I'm like, okay, like that's, I recognize that character and she's a different Carol Danvers from what the comics are. You know, she, they reinvent these characters for the Marvel movies yeah. and that's fine. Uh, but it was different, but good enough for me. On I the hope level it, I with hope stuff like uh, Avengers no. and Black Panther. No, I would say it's kind of B, B tier. Okay. So I, I've a tier Marvel's like uh, infinity war, uh, Black Panther, um, the original Iron Man, which I still think is great, um, stuff like that. So this is kind of level two. Uh, it's good. Oh, it's good. Sometimes it's great, but it's not like oh my god, it's one of my favorite Marvel movies. Um, it's it's in, but it's you know, it's no, it's not Thor: Captain The Dark America World. movies are pretty good. Oh, the Captain Winter, Winter Soldier and yeah, Civil I think War Winter are Soldier way up there. Maybe one of the best. Winter's, yeah, yeah. I mean, my favorite is still Avengers One because it was special to me because, like, I. That was the comic book was on the screen. Right, like it was yeah. like it was like I never thought they'd do it. I yeah. never thought they'd pull I it off. I, there was like, definitely an all factor there. But I would say Winter Soldier is probably the best film, film yeah. of the whole Marvel series. Yeah. Uh, it's the best made movie, I would say. Yep. Um, so you're telling people to go see? I Captain think it's Marvel. really good. Uh, it's great to see uh, Sam Jackson uh, as Fury in a whole movie again. Right. Uh, Instead the, of just the, like a the de aging tech is amazing. Like you, you, you don't even think about it after the really? first scene or so. He's, he just it's just Looks young, young Sam Jackson. Wow. Um, we need some of that. Uh, Fury. <laughs> face. Uh, Fury as uh, Fury as a, like an embarrassing cat person is great. He loves the cat. Like the like he just turns it. He's like I'm going to carry the cat. A good kitty. Good kitty. Yeah. And like of course the cat's an alien thing, but like. Uh, it's a goose. The cat is great. It's interesting that Goose is named Goose because in the comics his name was Chewy, 
because uh, he looked like Chewbacca. Right. Uh, but uh, that was that name came about in the '70s when Star Wars was a thing, and in this, it's supposed to take place in 1995, and no one was making Star Wars references in 1995, but they yeah. were making Top Gun references. Yeah. So that was perhaps a pretty smart move. <laughs> uh, there's a little girl in it, uh, 11-year-old uh, daughter of her best friend, uh, whose name is Monica Rambo. The, the mother is Maria, and the daughter is Monica. In the comics, that's the other way around. But Monica Rambeau is one of the other Captain Marvels. Uh, she's most prominently in uh, Next Wave recently, which is a kind of an edgier series. But that character, the 11-year-old girl playing Monica, that is absolutely Monica Rambeau as an 11-year-old girl. Wow. And the reason I think they made her the daughter in that is because if you then jump forward 20 years to the modern Marvel movies, you could have an adult Monica Rambeau. Right. Um, you know, in that, in that yeah. mix. And I hope they do that because they nailed her in this. It was great. Uh, ben Mendelsohn plays the Skrull leader of bad guy, and he is one of the best villains in Marvel history. Wow, good. Um, he, he's great, and it's not, it doesn't go where you think it is, think it's going to go. Um, I enjoyed a lot of it. What the, the about no post-movie? Where, where, where there's extra two. scenes are there? There's two extra scenes. There's one at the end of the first kind of main, you know, the mid-credits thing. Uh -huh. And there's a gag thing at the very, very end of all the credits. So stick around. So, yeah, stick around for that. And uh, it is interesting because I think the mid-credits scene is just a clip from Endgame, Avengers Endgame, mm -hmm. which usually means that whatever they were going to shoot for the original end credit scene is like didn't work uh the last time they used just a clip from the next movie was uh age of ultron and that was because whatever thing whedon was going to do for that they didn't like it or they didn't oh, do it interesting uh the other thing is get there on time get there to see the opening the marvel logo the, when the marvel you know when the beginning where the pages all flip and the marvel right. logo, marvel studios logo. Yeah. make sure you get there early enough to see the marvel studios logo on this one you also got made to make sure you get there early so you can see the Anthem commercial crash. Yeah, that's also fun. That's also fun. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of good trailers, too. Yeah. But, um, uh, including the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer. That movie looks great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, make sure you get to see the Marvel logo on this one because it's... Uh, Something we're seeing. It's, it's, yeah. If you're a fan... I, have a feel, I think I have a good idea of maybe what happens after recent events. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. So make sure you see that one. All right. Um, so yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's uh, it's not top tier Marvel, but it's uh, you know it's really good. It's worth your it's ten to fifteen bucks. Uh, if you like '90s stuff, there's tons of '90s references all over the place. Uh, it was, you know, I think the the music went a little overboard in places. Like, not everything has to be Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Also, I, I wonder if there's a difference there because like. Guardians of the Galaxy is using like kind of '70s rock, where like I just sort of associate that with sort of like slightly ancient great music. Whereas I have specific lifetime memories of every '90s song in this right. movie, and I'm like, that's not what this is. That's that's when this <laughs> happened, you know. And like, so I, I I feel like I have more like kind of like concrete experience like that I associate with these '90s songs. Whereas like the the songs that Guardians uses are a more nebulous sort of like, sure, that could be in space. Right, I don't know. Yeah, you know? Yeah. But like there's a couple moments in Mar Captain Marvel where they use a particular 90s song, and I'm like, that's a little on the nose, guys. Yeah. So, But overall, I had a really good time outside of the guy who um, sat down next to me and started texting for the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. And is he one of and those idiots that has like the sound on when he pecks? No, <laughs> he, had, he actually had it down. He had the light down real low, but it was still there. And like everyone no around No offense to him, any of you who have that turned on, but turn it off. Turn it off, yeah. <laughs> Everyone around him was just like, what the fuck is that? And I'm like, put it away, put it away. And like, finally the guy, you know, so the guy on the other side just whacks him no, in the uh -huh. chest and goes, goes, put it away or go away. And like, the, and the guy turns to me, like, as if to say, like, what's like, wrong to, with like, that to guy? get my opinion, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, 
put it the fuck away. <laughs> and he finally got up and left. That's great. But the first like 10, 15 minutes yeah. was, and by the way, I, cause it was, that was the seat that I had refunded. Cause I had two tickets. Oh, and, right. and then, uh, He got your seat. He got my old and seat. Like but I, I offered it to another friend, a friend of mine. And he was kind of maybe, but then he decided not to, cause he'd rather stay home and play Apex Legends. Uh. And I'm like, you ruined the first 15 minutes of the movie <laughs> for everyone around, around me yeah. because you didn't take that extra <laughs> ticket. All so right. We got to get out of here. So always be social. Otherwise, you'll ruin movies for people because you never know who's going to buy that ticket. I should have just ate the 20 bucks and had no one next to me because that is always better than some rando showing up. Now you know. Anyway. And no one's half the battle. Also, uh, if you can, see it in IMAX because the, IMAX, the action scenes expand out to fill the IMAX screen, which is cool. There you go. All right, that's going to do it for Game Phase 159 here on Siftit Games at Siftit.net. YouTube folks, hook oh. us up with that Twitch Prime. The guy who didn't come is apparently watching me because he just texted me. No way. <laughs> He's like, I got a shout out. I'm like, yes, yes, you did. Ah, that's great. Yes, you did. Ah, if you're watching on YouTube, hook us up with Twitch Prime, folks. It's down in the description. It's very easy to do. All you guys who are watching us live, you guys are all awesome. Your subscribers, your patrons, you guys rock. Uh, hope you guys have a great weekend. Thanks for hanging out with us on a Friday. Game Face is up and out.